1987, A Triumph, A Staggering Study of War. of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sam. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. And that was the back of the DVD for Platoon, which won <laughs> 1987's Best Picture. Uh, that makes a lot more sense. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I figured, you know, we always read the back of the boxes on these things, so let's uh, read the back of the movie for the Best Picture, because we are doing our Best of 1987. You've, 1987. You've heard it before in Best of 1985 and 1986, but these are celebration episodes to make it through another year. Of Nintendo video gaminess, guys. Nineteen eighty-seven. How do we feel? Wow, just like wow. Can't no. be- yeah, can't believe it. <laughs> None can't of us are born. We made, we made it. We really <laughs> no, not, not yet. Uh, I feel like we got a lot of big hitters this year. Yeah, this was you know? this was the biggest year. We yet. just did a lot. This. I mean, like I've lived in three different apartments since this year started <laughs> in, in this podcast. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's consumed our lives yeah. a little bit. Well, th- this thinking is... about this year specifically. <laughs> yeah, though this has definitely been the longest year. Yeah. By far, like mm-hmm. right. We, this is almost this is almost exactly a year. It was right? almost exactly a year. For those curious, it's fifty three games in nineteen eighty seven. So just uh, a year and a week, and yeah. based on and our was, Friday releases. 86? Do you, do you and eighty six off the top of like my head. Let's see games. here. I yeah. list nineteen games in nineteen eighty six. Wow. So the NES is officially out. For those of you that need a little recap, in nineteen eighty five, it released just in New York and maybe LA. And then in 1986, in June, they did their official uh, North American release and uh, released those additional, like, 19 games starting in June and going all the way into the introduction of third-party developers like Konami, Tose, um, Micronics, Data East. Those came out. And and then in, in 1987, you started to see all those same companies like um, Konami and Capcom release more games, but probably the games they're better known for, right? Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then all the other like little, littler third parties are like, where the party at? And they show up. Yeah, it's it, it's actually crazy the staggering amount of uh, third party developers we have that some of us had probably never even heard from before. I mean, you have Konami on the list here with eight games uh, between eighty six and eighty seven. Eighty six, they just released Gradius, which we loved. Mm-hmm. It was our best of nineteen eighty six award. And uh, then you have these smaller companies like Jazz Tech. What did they, what did they make? What that was. Yeah, what game did Jazz Tech make? Jazz what, what game did they? Uh, I'm did looking they it up right now. I'm trying to get an answer. And Jazz Tech was Ring King, the, uh, oh, okay. the yeah. game that only Sean and I played. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully you guys did play it yeah, though for 87. That would, probably would have been my, my best of 87. Absolutely. It, yeah. And I'm tro- I hope all the listeners, knowing that this episode was coming up, also played along to as much of 1987 as they could or listened back to some past episodes because we're going to do a little rewriting history today. We're going to uh, maybe change some thoughts on games we had previously. <laughs> Double think. Yeah, we're going to make you think if we know what we're thinking about. <laughs> if you weren't already Are we ever wondering? really yeah. certain about anything? <laughs> but before we do any more of 1987 talk, I want to give you guys some 1987 news, okay? These were some stories that happened in 1987, or videos, that uh, no one that we didn't cover on the podcast, and I feel like not a lot of people know about. So we're gonna talk about them here, and then you, I know them, so you guys can react essentially. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, you got it. 
this the first piece of news is Nintendo of America Inc. versus Blockbuster Entertainment. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, did you guys know about this lawsuit? It no. rings a vague bell. Okay, uh, Sean, a little bit. It was it was basically a um, oh, it, it basically codified the idea that rentals can be a thing for video games. Um, that they were that Blockbuster was taking games and basically renting them out and. Nintendo didn't like that very much. They they have a history of not liking uh, consumer friendly practices very much, um, and uh, Blockbuster won, and that's why you. I mean, that's why until Blockbuster went under, you could find a game. Now this throws into question really why they went under in the first place. <laughs> Nintendo might have had something to do with it. And so interestingly <laughs> enough, when when you look into the story, uh, Nintendo also kind of wins because uh, there there's a suit for. Uh, suing Blockbuster for photocopying complete NES manuals for its rental games, uh, yeah. which uh, the judge did rule is illegal, and you yeah. would need to buy that those manuals. I could, I could see. So Blockbuster yeah. had to include the original manuals with all of its rentals. The question, of course, being, why didn't they just do that from the beginning? If they had to buy all those <laughs> copies of those games, they would have also had the manuals. That's uh, true. Hmm. You know, I don't understand the photocopy thing, but maybe, you know, like if it was me, yeah, as me as a kid, I probably would have ripped that thing up too. So, you know, there's there's that. Also, uh, in Australia, the NES launches in 1987. We didn't talk about this, but, uh, you know, in 1985, it's soft launch. 1986, it does launch in America. In 87, it finally makes its way to Australia, but that's not too important for our podcast because we only cover what happens in North America. But I I watched the uh like the launch commercial, you know, the commercial that tried to sell Australians on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And so I'll play the audio for all of our listeners, but I feel like you guys should watch the video. <laughs> we are Nintendo Ultimate TV Game System. We challenge all players. You cannot beat us. All right, so that's what I imagine being indoctrinated by a reaper sounds like. Okay, <laughs> from Mass Effect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's interesting about that that uh, you won't know if you're just listening to it, you'll think it's just a bunch of creepy people saying this. Those are like Nintendo villains, including Bowser, before he ever looked anything like, you know, he's just the NES 3D version of Bowser in this in this commercial. Yeah, saying he's, he's you 3D, will like flat pixel 3D. 3D. Right. Right. Pixel yeah. 3D. Like paper craft on right. yeah. Saying you will not defeat us or you will not beat us. I forget what the thing is, but like... C- come on, like, what is the idea there? Yeah, That's not it's, fun at all. Like, it's, it's a little creepy. And, and it, it gives me, it reminds me of, like, those PlayStation 3 commercials at first that were, remember those? Oh, the baby? The, yeah, it was like it was like weird, like, PlayStation 3 is going to kill you commercials. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they got, like, really out of touch with things. It like, kind of gives me that kind of vibe. Yeah, I don't understand what the idea is. Is the idea that Nintendo games are so hard that you won't be able to defeat them? Like, I, mean, I think it's like reverse psychology. You know, it's like, you can't even beat us if you wanted to, so you might as well just go. You might as well, you, you can't even use this stuff. And so clearly the best way to handle that would be through like a demonic sounding chant. I just don't understand yeah, what the dollars. filter was for. Yeah, like that was a lot of weird stuff. But we also got uh, two commercials for Zelda 1. 
that we uh, that we didn't talk about in the Zelda one episode, and I thought those would be fun to play too because they have a they have a great audio. I'd like to know what the listeners imagine in their heads as they hear this one. So let's check out these two. Did you see the latest Nintendo newsletter? Whoa, nice graphics! I'd like to get my hands on that game. You mean you haven't played it yet? We can play it on my Nintendo Entertainment System. It's the Legend of Zelda, and it's really rad. Those creatures from Ganon are pretty bad. Octoroks, Tech Tech's Levers, too. But with your help, our hero pulls through. Yeah, go Link. Yeah, get Zelda. Awesome. Intense. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Your parents help you hook it up. The Legend of Zelda sold separately. Watch Zelda become a legend on your Nintendo Entertainment System. Zelda! Legend of Zelda. A never-ending adventure new for your Nintendo Entertainment System. Zelda! So I, I specifically hope that for uh, that second one. <laughs> That, that second one, whoever came up with that, I hope that they got fired from that ad agency because that for the, you can't tell it just from the audio though it was pretty crazy. That is just a video of a guy locked in a cell, uh, losing his mind, shouting out the names of enemies from the Legend of Zelda. It's like the, a cross between the uh, like community theater and Eraserhead. Yeah. Is, 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 is what I, the vibe I was getting from that. If you have to pause this episode and watch that video, it's ridiculous. And then the Zelda one rap, I thought that was a little step up. I like that. Yeah, it was, it was fine. I, was, uh, I was kind of, I was kind of watching. Like I was like slowly slack jawed as I did not expect them to start rapping. Right. <laughs> and and is, a, is a rap about Legend of Zelda really going to sell the game to anybody? Yeah, is like it, in a fantasy yeah, setting like right. that, and and you know it's a pretty complicated yeah. game for the time. I've like, heard is some a rap like gonna... fantasy raps before. Okay, you know, like you know Arthur. Arthur is fantasy rap now. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> I like that. I, I like that rewritten history. Uh, and that that's it for the video portion of this podcast. Uh, sorry, everybody. <laughs> what? Can you listen? What? Isn't Arthur more reggae? Uh, uh, yes. King Arthur? No, I'm talking about PBS Arthur. Yeah, that's what uh, I thought you were talking Harley? about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about King Arthur. Great. Uh, I, just, okay. you know, I just don't consider... Saying King. Yeah, you're on yeah. first name basis. Yeah. Yeah, first name basis with King Arthur. Okay, he's been dead for hundreds of years. Or you call him. Uh, All right. <laughs> yeah, we're drinking on this episode. <laughs> That's important to note, too. We're celebrating a little. Courtesy of John B. Uh, for donating like money Thanks, all John. the time. Thanks, John. You rock. He said, hope you use this money to buy some beers. So we did. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Let's uh, get away from news of 1987, because that's all I got. And instead, let's talk about the themes of 1987, just for the NES, obviously. Major theme for me right off the bat is that the NES is now, like, definitively a third-party system. Uh, Nintendo uh, was putting out a lot of games at first, and while they still put out uh, three big heavy hitters this year in Punch-Out!, Zelda, and Metroid, I think that for the most part, we saw, like, a ton from Konami, uh, Capcom, Tecmo, Hudson Soft, Rare. Yeah. Like, the, these guys are really starting to create the narrative for the system less than Nintendo. They're is. not. They're not carrying the burden of of selling the system themselves anymore. Right. Um, and I think uh, going into that, the uh, the there's a greater emphasis on the home console as like a primary experience for these games now, instead of just being uh, ports from the arcade. Um, they're actually supposed to be played over a pretty long period of time in the house. And I thought that that was interesting to watch over the course of this year. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that building on that, because we're playing these over a longer period of time, they're they're able to be more of these like adventure stories and f- more that feel like uh, games that feel like you're really on a full out journey adventure. Yeah. The kind of thing that usually draws me into games. Mm-hmm. Like we had. Uh, I mean, I have a couple written down. One, two, three, four, five, six. And we had like ten of them that I thought were like really good, or at least better than we're used to. Some, some were a little questionable, but like full on story adventure games. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Data East specifically can't catch a break with us. Uh, they've <laughs> they've put out five games as a developer, and we've said skip it to all five of them. Data East isn't alone, though. Um, I think that there are. I, I've. I sort of looked at the stories so far of a lot of these developers, and I think that Micronix's string of failures is is just like the the joke of the year. Micronix actually has more failures too, yeah. but they did make a game that we did say play it to, and I, I don't know what it is off the top Are you of sure? my head. <laughs> yeah, they, they made one. Uh, they have six. They have six skippets from us. But the one that we recommended, let's see, was... Okay, keep talking, guys. Well, I mean, they got Akari Warriors. They got Athena. They got Elevator Action. Classic. They've got Tiger Heli, and they've got Super Pitfall. And that was just in 1987. Yeah. I don't know... It's rough. I I don't know what they're going to do going forward. uh, I I I figured out what it is. It's a a loophole, actually. (laughs) You're right. They actually do consistently suck because uh, we gave Ghosts and Goblins in 1986 a play it, and I would consider that much more of a Capcom game that that Micronix was lucky to be the developer of. Micronix developed it, but Capcom made the actual game. They laid out the rules and then just said, Mm. please make the NES version (laughs) equivalent. So Micronix uh, did not uh, did not really ever bring but us. They also, no. they also did that with Pitfall, correct? And they screwed Pitfall up. Uh, well, Super Pitfall. That uh, is a. I mean, I think they just created the game. They just created Super Pitfall. You're thinking of the original Pitfall, which which is a good game. Uh, right. Micronix brought Super Pitfall to which the, is totally different. Which is totally different. Oh, okay. Totally yeah, different yeah. game. Um, that would, yeah, that would be tough if they if they actually screwed it up that yeah, bad. Well, there yeah, were no yeah. caves in Pitfall. <laughs> I could I could keep going with like individual developers. If I you'd would like. love to hear more thoughts. Um, I think that Square at this point at this point is completely unrecognizable. Yes, yeah. um, I totally agree. And we kind of talked about that in the uh, 3D uh, World Runner episode, yeah. where yeah. it's just like hard to believe that this studio is going to well, make well, Final it, Fantasy. It gives credit to that. I don't know if it's a myth or if it's true about them making Final Fantasy as their last ditch effort to make a good game before they want to. I think it's half myth, half truth. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it to be. I would like it to be truth. Yeah. If you can, if you can make that truth. Well, just me. you know, you're a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, any more stories? Uh, Konami is is impressive but inconsistent. Yeah, Konami is mm. Konami is really good actually, and I think about like what they've done well, and they actually have two essential games from us. I think so. Uh, three actually, never mind three. So two this um, year though, I think. Two this year, yes. Yeah. Uh, Stinger and Castlevania, yeah. both coming in, and uh, I don't know, you know, I know Stinger was a little debatable for a lot of people, but I think Castlevania yeah. is like. To this day, like a lot of people would agree that that's just an amazing entry. Platinum tier essential. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, a lot of these developers that join in, I feel like they're just trying to like, you know, they're just they're just now noticing the uh, the NES as a system, and they're yeah. like, oh, we should throw a game on there. That's why we have like a lot of people who just made one game. I think we have uh, like eight developers yeah. who so far have only released one game. I think. This list will only get longer oh, in yeah. 1988 and 89. As the system continues to sell, you'll see a lot of just names you've never heard before that probably did computer software before this just say, well, NES is selling like hotcakes. Why don't we try to make a game for it? 
Yeah, my, my, my last example um, is just another like uh, textbook example of like how these companies don't come out of a vacuum. Like they don't just immediately become what we know them for because Rare is again like they they disappointed. Um, they disappointed by by quite a bit in terms of like what we think of them now. Sure. Yeah. yeah. In fact, mm-hmm. actually, what I think of Rare now is actually more in line with this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, what we thought of them ten years before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rare has this weird thing where um, they're one of the most recognizable like third-party video game developers. I guess now second-party is how they're considered. Yeah. But, like that's they're they're just so recognizable for just such a few amount of games in the grand scheme of their history. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they are going to make some amazing NES games, uh, and we did put Slalom on the essential list, so it's worth talking about. But I think if you you know if you look at like the history of Rare, that's a company that gets way too much love for what they've actually put out. I guess I don't know too much about the stuff outside of like Banjo Kazooie and Conquer and those kinds of like, big yeah, temples. Yeah, well, uh, Donkey Kong Country for the Super Nintendo, oh yeah, mm-hmm. a course, huge thing for them. Course. But also Battletoads on the NES is uh, uh, still like a, a, lot a game a lot of people remember. Games that I know but haven't really attributed to Rare in my yes, head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I actually Rare as we're as we're doing this episode is working on a new Battletoads game. <laughs> of course, for, just for the uh, memes, the next generation of consoles. <laughs> Yeah, just for GameStop to go out of business, right? Controller gimmicks are still pretty bad, in my opinion. You guys can tell me what you think on this, but I thought that the Zapper games that came out in 87 were considerably weaker than the entries we've seen in the past. And now we have the addition of the Power Pad, which none of us love. Right. No, the Power Pad is just a functionality thing. I mean, I think the idea of of some of the games we did with power pad would be cool if the power pad worked yeah. or like was was like something a little more a little deeper than what we got i mean the concept but. of the power pad like went beyond the nes and turned and turned into like ddr turned mm-hmm. into uh the we fit stuff uh i mean it, it's still like the concepts existed afterwards but yeah the power pad it it wore out its it's wore it yeah. wore out its welcome pretty quickly. I, I think it was something that came a little too early. Yeah, and, and I, like we weren't ready for the, the technology <laughs> wasn't there. Right, and I really want to talk back to Sean's point about DDR because that's a successful you know uh, example of something working much later. Yeah, in, yeah. in, in mm-hmm. a controller's lifespan, but also. Uh, the we broke down in our Athletic World episode really what the bigger problem with the power pad is, and it's not even so much the functionality; it's the way that the games are designed around it. If you remember, we were talking about how like for jumping, you'd almost have to like 
actually jump off the power yeah. pad and then jump back on just to count it as a right. longer yeah. jump, you know? Like, if you actually just jumped in the air, you wouldn't go very far at all. <laughs> the game was expecting you to, like, hold on to a push-up bar or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, pull-up bar. Yeah. Push-up, push-up, push-up bar. bar. <laughs> like, what is a push-up bar? Uh, and so, that, you know, that. But also, like, the Zapper games, uh, just to talk about them for a minute, the the one that comes to my head is Gotcha. Got- yeah. The sport. The, the, the sport, sport. Yeah. <laughs> What were you talking about? He's like, gotcha. Yeah. And what's funny is that I realized we made such a big deal about Gotcha, the sport thing, but that was actually a huge like line of products in the late 80s. Gotcha? Uh, gotcha. Like specifically, they were that was the original paintball. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. And they actually did like have a whole separate line outside of this NES game of like paintball peripherals and wow. uh, different huh. like yeah different I remember uh, owning a paintball, paintball gun but I never had heard of gotcha but apparently it, it, it was a different name for it to go yeah, by because it wasn't know that. it was trying to do its own thing and that's why they they branded it as gotcha the sport because they were almost trying to like take ownership of paintball Interesting. wow well as, as far as is it is gotcha the sport as a zapper game I think what because like really if, if you look at that it doesn't seem like it doesn't overtly seem like it did anything that wrong if you compare it to Duck Hunt, but I think what the what the problem ends up being is that it's not it's not a game that's about the shooting <laughs> like like that's what the it's not focusing enough yeah. on using the zapper, which is what Duck Hunt is all about. You're just kind of waiting other, to use it. Yeah, you're waiting to use it. You have to use your other hand to control. It, it's I think it, it's trying to branch out in like the wrong direction where. The zapper as a peripheral is peripheral isn't like really helping that game that much. Got it. I think that the zapper uh it pretty much got their peak zapper uh in terms of like how useful it is. Um I, I said that wrong actually. The zapper as a as an idea, again, gets better beyond the NES, like light gun games in general at arcades. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that as much power that the NES could squeeze out the zappers, the the zapper used all of it within its like first three games. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That that shows by like the best game being. I mean, obviously the first objective of being yeah. Duck Hunt, yeah. the one that's really just about shooting and mm-hmm. like showing how good this zapper is at aiming. Once you start adding, and actually, I think the first three are all they all do something different that the zapper can do. Yeah. Because there's one uh, uh, Hogan's Alley is more about reaction time and. Yeah. Uh, or, I'm sorry, it's about decision-making. Yeah. Quick decision-making. Decision Wild Gunman is about reaction time. Yep. And uh, Duck Hunt is about aim. And, like, really after that, adding too much more onto it, like, the, we, we don't... Yeah. Well, oh, we shoot, don't what, what was it later that same day? Gumshoe. Yeah. Yeah, Gumshoe shows what happens when you just have... You take have it too to, far. Yeah. yeah, you're, like, given an assignment. Like, you must use the zapper, but you've already developed an entire <laughs> yeah. game. And you're like, um, just shoot the screen and you'll jump. It's like a special rule in a video game, you know? Like, like oh, you have to do this, but you can't touch the ground. It's like that kind of deal. Right, right. Yeah. right. And, and, you know, I don't know where the zapper can really go from here anyway, given the NES's limitations, yeah. right? I think, right. to Sean's point, it's like, you, you know, time crisis and yeah. those kind of games yeah. are going to be awesome in the arcade. I, yeah. uh, I'd, I'd still like what we've we've kind of talked about before is having a multiplayer game where, Mike, you're controlling... Mario and I'm covering you with the zapper and shooting yeah, you. Yeah, they're just gonna like try to shoot Mario. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't can do that. Duck that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can be the duck. It's not and good, then though. a Square also tried uh, two games of their own to uh, do 3D, and it wasn't. You know, it, that kind of falls in a weird situation where it's not terrible, but it's also like unnecessary and it doesn't work with 8-bit art. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah like, I, I can imagine being impressed in 1987. Mm-hmm. Right, but, but so it's definitely aged. that makes me think of a gimmick that's just it came it came out too early. Like 3D even now is like another thing that like had a moment in the early 2010s and is seemingly dead again, with the exception of like movie theaters that can charge more for the 3D ticket. Oh, okay. You know, like, like, stereoscopic 3D. Yeah, yeah. And just like, you know, 3D TVs were like a big push, yeah. and now you don't. Now you get smart TVs as the bigger push, and, mm-hmm. and um, OLED TVs as, mm-hmm. as the bigger pushes. So I'm just wondering, what do you guys think are today's uh, video, you know, like 2019's video game gimmicks that are just not here yet, but will eventually... Like well, they don't exist yet. No, or no, they do exist that aren't pulling I, off I, well. Like to, I, to use the power pad as an example, like you said, eventually DDR figured it out. Okay. What's something that is happening now, but like it's not that great right well, now, but it will get better. It's obviously VR. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, yeah that's VR still. I mean, it still has some really interesting experiences between the the sort of story based fun houses uh, out like um, like Job Simulator and. Um, the one that Justin Roiland made, I forgot the name. Um, but I don't think that until we can get a much more, uh, a less entangled version of VR, uh, where there, it's, it's pretty much wireless and we can, we can figure out more ways to, um, make, to, to, to be able to tell a story or to create a better, uh, list of, of features in VR. Um, I don't think it's going to be more successful than a game like Super Hot VR because I think super, right now Super Hot VR is the best game in VR. Yeah, but I do think that VR is doing better than the Zapper was. Oh, and, yeah, well, and I, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a matter of this is something that Relatively has come close fun. to its yeah. full potential. And I, yeah, I think it'll take there's, more what you're talking about to yeah. get there. There's also, I mean, VR has applications outside of games, also. You know, That's like true. I, I've yeah. seen, I've seen things where. You know, people have a yoga class with other real people, but they're just all, you know, in their, in their own rooms. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you kind of see their avatars and it's led by an instructor and everything. Uh, things like that or like Google Maps has VR now, I think. Um, and you can kind of just explore different areas without actually being there. And I think that's like, <clears throat> excuse me, that's like a whole other area where the technology can exist beside like adjacent, yeah, adjacent yeah, to gaming. Uh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the, the zapper existing and kind of living in this like limbo and then kind of fizzling away is like almost the opposite where like now VR seems like it's existing, living in this limbo, kind of waiting for like that yeah, one thing to spark plateaued, to like yeah. boom, that's going to, yeah. that's going to, you really could even say that the zapper wound up working out in home consoles. If you look at like PlayStation move and the Wiimote and yeah. stuff like that, like it was definitely got True, like yeah. the Wiimote even got links cross pro training, which had this whole right. device that went with it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. They definitely wound up functioning better. I don't know if those games were better. I also think about like AR games on the iPhone right now. Uh, you know, we don't talk too much about right. like video gaming and mobile because a lot of people there's a like, there's just too much there's a garbage disconnect. wear in yeah. there, and yeah, there's a, a a disconnect from us. But I do think that like if you look at Pokemon Go uh, using the AR and stuff like that, I feel like that's such a primitive early example of what this could eventually be, where there's almost like a whole game that's just out there in the world, but you have to access it through. You know your augmented reality tools, yeah, whether yeah, that's right. your phone or eventually mm. your glasses. You know, <laughs> like whatever that winds up being, I do see that being a big market of video games that takes off. This is a stray thought, but I bet that like people who are in- really into geocaching will be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's some, cool. yeah. some AR thing with that that'll like puzzles or you know clues throughout the city. Yeah, I feel yeah, like that'd I be something that. cool. 
And then, and then just one of an actual video game example that comes to mind for me, and I can't say this entirely because I only played the first chapter of Detroit Become <laughs> Human, which, which did, you know, leave a good yeah. impression on me. Joe played the entire game. But I think, uh, choices and consequences in video games is something that, uh, I'd still consider we're on the early side of, and nobody's been able to pull it off exactly. And I imagine that once, like, AI can be used in video games, <laughs> they can actually, like, somehow make all of those different branches uh, have some real consequences and and not have to worry about, like, somebody actually designing a story right. for all those right. thousands of possibilities. And instead, like, AI can take control of those areas to make more branches and make more plausibility yeah. to your decisions. That, that is a an interesting thought. That is a huge can of worms that we would have to open, and I don't want to do that in this sure. episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's just more of an <laughs> yeah. early thought from yeah. me, but... I mean, you know, maybe that's a future episode. Yeah. AI with Sean. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> Not so much AI, but choice and consequence. Choice and consequences. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Uh, and then, guys, another theme. Welcome to the movies. Yeah. <laughs> Time movies are here. Yeah. Yeah. We are finally getting... We, they just kind of all came through at the end. Uh, I feel like November and December was when we started to see all these. We had The Goonies 2, Jaws, Karate Kid... And I'm sure we're going to get a bunch more in 87, but movie games, uh, you know, they have a history in video games of being pretty uh, shit, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but, but it's interesting that it took them, I mean, it took a long time for anyone to learn that, like, those games aren't usually that good. Oh, uh, well. it wasn't until recently that, that they kind of stopped making video games, like, I think it's times. because budgets actually increased for video games, though, that that stopped. That's true. Yeah, you know? that'd be true. It's yeah. like, oh, if we're going to keep releasing movies yeah. and then you're going to make, like, I think of the perfect example is the Batman Begins. I was about to video say game. that, yeah. Like, just a game that has no need, right? It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't need to exist. I never even played it. I just remember seeing the box. I mean, like, how does that even play? Like, like yeah. what is that like? Yeah. But there were, I mean, that's not even a week. Like, I remember there was a series of unfortunate events in the video game for the PS2. Yeah. And, I, and I, my, my friend had it, and I was like, what do you do in that? I remember there was, like, a mini game where you play the piano. Like, yeah. it was just any movie that came out, even if it bombed. They were making video game. Yeah, but then you get a game, you know, that that the movie came out 30 years before. You get, like, The Warriors, you know, yeah. on PS2. And that's a great game. What a great game. <laughs> it's like these weird things happen in, in video yeah. game movie adaptations. But I, I don't think that the concept is, is going to sell ever on the NES, honestly. But who knows? I get, Maybe that's too early. Yeah. But uh, we did leave, I did leave out Top Gun, maybe. And I know that, Sean, you really were feeling Top Gun. I did feel Top Gun. I, I think that right now, because there's enough experimentation in the form, like... By the mid-2000s, early 90s, not early 90s, late 90s, mid-2000s, every uh, video game adaptation, I felt, was like a third-person action game. Yeah, and like trying to be the movie. Yeah, trying Mm -hmm. to be the movie. And at least right now, they're experimenting with form. But, uh, yeah, it really goes off the... (laughs) Spoiler alert, it goes off the rails. Um, I think one of the the biggest themes of 1987 that we haven't talked about yet is uh, shmup fatigue. Ah, see, I have that as my next bullet point. I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I wrote, shmups are in demand or just easy to make. Yeah. <laughs> we can't really tell where they are at, but let me list off the shmups for you guys, and then we can talk about them at large and, and kind of what our what our hope and dreams are for future shmups, because we know we're going to get a lot of them, so maybe we talk about what we're looking forward to. Uh, the shmups that came out this year, Section Z, Sky Kid, Schoon, Stinger, Tiger Heli, Alpha Mission, Zanuck, and Star Force. It's almost as if 
of they had a, t- uh, a time machine for podcasts, and they heard us say like greatest number one game in 1986, yeah. and I'm like. Okay, we just keep making games like that, and then these four kids will talk about how <laughs> these are the best games. We'll make so much money. We'll make so much future money. Um, but no, they're. I mean, like more or less, they're they're not yeah. great. And would, it's, it's even got to the point where some of them that are good, I'm already going into it with like an ugh, yeah, like, yeah. because I'm just so sick of yeah. pops. <laughs> I would guess that they are just, if not easy to make, easy to understand how to make. You know, yeah. there's like a couple of rules that everyone can kind of like agree on about yeah. how they work. Um, and then you have a little bit of room for experimentation. And that's where you can say ours is different because, you know, and yeah. then yeah. that's it. That's all you got to do. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, none of us were alive at this time. But I, I imagine that we're still kind of in the era where people kind of as a whole people sort of just assume like this is video game like this is their pe- yeah. person a shmup is a and person's a general person's idea of what a video game is yeah you and know on the edge of your seat ramming buttons and, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. and just like crazy things happening on the screen and like not like story driven or TV like you know, arcade ish yeah. yeah I was gonna say I'm, I'm also assuming that there's like a big influence from arcades at this point where shmups are so kind of accessible in that way that maybe it's like just easy to market them to, and maybe people like understand immediately when they see it. Like, oh yeah, obviously this is that's this. It's right. a new one. I'm gonna get it. You know, right? And then in terms of what we want to see in future shmup games, are there any thoughts that come to mind? For me personally, I think that I'd love to see a shmup take the Mega Man approach <laughs> of like, here's the six sectors you have to go to, you know, and then mm-hmm. you can do them in any order, and then you gain the new power up for your uh for yeah. your um aircraft to then like take on the other five and so this way there's replayability yeah. in which order you get the power ups. i mean the Mega Man structure is just elegant i guess in a way that it could be it could be applied to any genre i think and you're still right work. and maybe that's a lazy choice by me then to say i don't that, think so like, I, I i think that's interesting but also i i wouldn't hate to see like you know something more in line with what gradius was doing correct where you know you kind of can apply all these power-ups at once. A lot of these games that we mentioned in our 1987 shmup list, they only had the idea of, like, this is your power-up for right now. And then if you pick a new one, you lose the previous power-up, and now you have this power-up. Or, like, you know, throughout the game, you maybe get, like, slightly better, but only if it carries through from stage to stage. Whereas Gradius continued to be a game where you have to kind of, like, manage resources to decide what your best loadout was going to be at that time. I'd like to see a game that does that again. And it's interesting, though, that while I think that there is still room for expansion, and I only was really exposed to shmups through this podcast for the most part, so I don't know if there are any really big outliers in terms of uh, in in terms of the feature set. But it it seems now that they're just um, exercises in spectacle. Um, if you look at any. Like bullet hell. I, I'm more interested in like how crazy the visuals are than just trying to check to see like, oh, what kind of uh, what kind of features are in this game? Like, what is there uh, the power ups like? Is there anything interesting about how they go about doing that? Um, so I don't know. It seems like it's a genre that's sort of in arrested development in terms of at least like at current like 2019 <laughs> sure yeah and, and i agree like i'm not I'm, I'm not super familiar with shmups i feel like i'm the most familiar on the podcast but i'm not sure what comes next on the nes you know yeah. i don't really know how you take this concept any further that, that's actually what makes me sort of concerned about the future of us playing these shmups because i feel like 
we're probably going to get a lot more of the same. Yeah. And I hope I'm wrong about that, but I feel like there's going to be a lot more that we're playing that are not really doing anything different, that are kind of just games we're going to have to get through because they're so similar to games we've already played. The, the only thing I can tease is that uh, we are currently on episode... Well, this is a special. So we're currently on episode 89 with Wizards and Warriors. When we get to 111, Life Force comes out, and that's apparently a very well-respected shmup shooter, uh, also, I believe, made by Konami. Yep. And then uh, 1943, the sequel to 1942, uh, that is episode 122, it will be. And uh, funny thing about that, I played that game, and I think I mentioned in the 1942 podcast, so I know this going into it. It does have some light RPG mechanics where you can actually, like... Choose your stats and find upgradables to boost stats and stuff like that on your ship. And I think that's a I'm always unique concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I think that, you know, as we see more of these adventure style games come out, I'm predicting that maybe that'll cross over to shmups, where maybe we'll see, like, possibly even, like, story-driven shmups. You know, okay. come about right because we've yeah. really only um, seen that in their manuals. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe yeah. like maybe even just beginning with like the levels look different. You know, like yeah. well, don't play, forget not the, like look different, but like play differently. Sure, slightly. yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we did. We had that a little bit in Stinger where you would switch between horizontal and vertical, which was cool. Right, but I also remember like the radio play we did for Schoon. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. Like that, that was an entirely contained um, yeah. story within the manual. You wouldn't get that right. from playing the game. Right. It would be a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> right. So I know I kind of already mentioned this at the top of the section, but I think another theme being like the adventure or the scope of these games being bigger and having um, having a lot more kind of adventure-like qualities to them. So I, I'm fucking fumbling. Do you want me to introduce Yeah, introduce the scope in? thing. Okay, 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 okay. Sorry. And, and for my final point here, game scope is growing. And I think what I mean by that is when you look at games like Metroid, Legend of Zelda, Castlevania, and Mega Man, those, those specifically, there's, they're growing in different directions. You know, Metroid kind of gives you this entire map that you don't, you don't ever get to look at. You know, you have to draw it yourself. And it says, go explore and find things. The Legend of Zelda gives you hints on an overworld that you then have to explore dungeons to find new things, you know, to, to get further into the game to find the Triforce. Castlevania has, like, this beginning thing where you, like, see Dracula's castle and then you see you move through the map and there's this motif of, like, old Hollywood uh, working its way <laughs> into, Universal like... Universal Hollywood horror Right, stuff. Universal Hollywood horror films, like, working its way into this. And, it, and it's all, like, it's all cohesive in the, gr- yeah. in the grand, you know, the grand story of the game. And the Mega Man finally being, like... Hey, here's all the levels. You just pick where you want to go, but then it's going to affect how you play every other yeah, level in the game. Yeah. yeah. So, Joe, any yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, because that kind of kind of harkens back to what I was saying at the beginning about a lot of these feeling like like adventures. And and I there were several times for the night for 1987 where I sat down and felt like I was starting a story, even if obviously these are these are loose kind of vague stories. But but I think Castlevania, as you mentioned. Uh, Kid Icarus, Rygar, Metroid, Zelda, The Coonies 2, <laughs> Wizards and Warriors, even, even if if you didn't love that game, it felt like it was a full a yeah. full story you're getting into Deadly and, Towers. and Mega Man. Even yeah, even <laughs> Deadly Towers. We didn't like that game at all. But, <laughs> but it was clearly trying to if if it if you could get through it, you still it's an adventure. gritting your teeth. Yeah. You went through Yeah, this whole adventure, this whole story. And, and you know, that's the kind of thing that I'm in in 
this for. That's what I'm. That's what draws me to a video game. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm excited for more of that to happen. I really like your Goonies two example there because I mean that that's a game that's a sequel to another game that no one's ever played, but also could just be seen as a sequel to the movies. You know, if you're a right. kid, you don't know any better. Right. But like the and, and, idea that you're not playing through the movie, you're playing through an extension of the movie. I could see right. kids being incredibly hyped for that, right. and there's a whole story there. And take away the title of the Goonies and and play this game, and you still feel like you played through a story, and you saved your friends, and you still it's still a coherent whole, you know, regardless of connecting it to the Goonies. And then the mermaid makes more sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like the idea, too, that it's not, you know, save the princess or... Um, just get, or just yeah. get to the end and uh, defeat the final boss or something that there's actually like context yeah context yeah. there's upgrades as mm-hmm. you go through I, Kid Icarus is a great example of that where you're collecting those three pieces to then eventually like get into the the shmup stage <laughs> you know where all of a sudden you're flying again like you didn't have that power the whole game you're you're uh, a cherub but you don't know why <laughs> you can't do anything with it and and then you wind up pulling off this amazing feat and fighting Medusa, and I think like those are the those are the stories uh, that are gonna um, that are gonna tell a longer story in video games as as a whole. Like like the other games that we played that we just kind of passed over and said skip it. They don't they don't shape video right. games going forward. You know, more games like that will come, and they'll all not stick. Right. You know, and, and if- they'll just continue to throw those. But these games, there's a reason why all these years later, people still talk about. Metroid and Legend of Zelda because they're creating an experience that everyone's going to then like hope for in their next game like oh I hope this has a big grand adventure like yeah, right, Legend of Zelda right. and even if you think of the level design of those I mean Legend of Zelda has the dungeons and it has the overworld and uh Kid Icarus has the you know the vertical levels and then the horizontal levels you know it feels like you're on a journey you're yeah on they path. even call them dungeons so it right. is that idea yeah. and uh, and then if you think of something like uh, Karate Kid which I know wasn't necessarily trying to do this but like Karate Kid had what they had the boxing level and they had like two forest levels that kind of looked the same and then it had like a hurricane level it was just it just it feels like there's not as much intention behind the level design in some of these games as there are in others that are coming out in each absolutely love it uh, any additional thoughts on that. You can kind of see it, like the um, the fallout decades later of this idea that actually was healthy for video games and and how they grew as a medium, and, and it's sort of like the well got poisoned, and in the like the mid tens, you see all of these uh, these games that just have these like fifty square kilometers of of uh of places to go and adventure and it's just like emptiness yeah. <laughs> so right. like yeah so g- greater scope is really helpful when these games are so small uh in the 80s uh but then it just becomes a parody of itself later on right. there are there are games that do full giant open worlds right yeah and then there are plenty of games that just shouldn't do that yeah
Another thing that we didn't cover uh, throughout the course of the 1987 season of the podcast is <laughs> the season 1987. Right. Uh, the Nintendo Fun Club. Do you guys know what that is? No. No. So before Nintendo Power, Nintendo put out a newsletter that came out quarterly called Nintendo Fun Club. And it started in winter of 86 and lasted until, I think, like June of 88. And that was just like their quarterly earnings? Yeah, their quarterly earnings reports that they sent to children (laughs) that bought. (laughs) (laughs) They just wanted everyone to know these are the highest selling games. No, but in truth, what it was was it was a free magazine that you would get from Nintendo if you bought a Nintendo Entertainment System. And it would come through and give you like tips on the games and stuff like that. Really no different than Nintendo Power, which I'm sure all of us are at least somewhat familiar with. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Nintendo Fun Club uh, does have a lot of interesting stuff in it, mostly regarding tips and tricks and, like, celebrity interviews. On, celebrity like, interviews? Yeah, but with, like, what really... Kind of celebrity? Uh, you know, I, I don't really want to example <laughs> things because it's, like... Like Duran Duran? No, that would have been good. That would have been a good get. I think they got the guy from the Wonder Years. Uh, <laughs> Wait, in, like, uh, Fred Savage? Fred Savage at one point. Yeah, okay. they... They got someone from Dirty Dancing, but neither of the two stars. <laughs> like oh, an extra. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they also did um, a huge issue four, or yeah, issue four was all about Mike Tyson. Nice. Because of Punch Out. Right. So, th- you know, take that for what you will, but I think the more important thing is, is that they advertised what games were coming out soon. You know, a lot of this information was used to figure out when these games like came out chronologically, which helped a podcast. But they did have a few on this list of like, Look out for these games that did not come out. Oh. Look out for these. Oh, that, okay. they didn't <laughs> yeah, come I mean, out. They didn't right? say. Yeah, they okay. didn't say. Look out for these games saying, that like, check aren't out coming these games out. that didn't come out and look out for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're saying look out for these games coming out in, like, right. winter of 87. Okay? they were they, These were all targeting winter of 1987. Okay. And none of these came out. So I think it's like, worth yeah, talking about. Ever. Uh, or, well, like you know, I don't later. want to spoil too much, okay. but yeah, let's go into the ones that never came out first, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, from Capcom, there are three games, and I'm going to just tell you the title, and then my best summation of what they are, <laughs> and then you guys can tell me if you would have played this or not, okay? They're Capcom games, so keep that in mind. The first one, Makai Island, okay? And that was a pirate-slash-sailing action-adventure game. Yeah, totally. I'd okay, that, that sounds, sounds awesome. cool. Yeah, yeah. it sounds different. Like pirates! Exclamation point. It's like Jaws, where you're like in a ship in an overworld, but the overworld's actually like the Caribbean, <laughs> and and you're the action part. Instead of like going into scuba gear and going under the water, you board other pirate ships and fight them. That sounds yeah, sick. I would have been all about that. Yeah. yeah. So it never came out. Uh, it did come out in Japan uh, for oh. Famicom, okay. but it never oh, made so its it way exists. here. Was it any good? Oh, yeah, you could play it. Yeah. Was it like was it well-received? Uh, I don't think so. Is okay, it great? Do you fight pirates? You, you fight pirates. pirates. But are there are no pirates? pirates in the game. There are what? <laughs> are, are you pirates fighting you're, pirates? I think you're a pirate, too. Yeah. Nice. Okay, that's this the cool way. going off screenshots. Okay. Uh, the next one, the Speed Rumbler. I described this. So this is <laughs> I just took a sip as you said that. Almost yeah. spit the tank. funny thing about Speed Rumbler is like these are the these are what their English names would have been. Like you know clearly since these games came out on the Famicom, 
Like, we know that they weren't titled that. <laughs> it just sounded like, that they, had like a, they had like a hat full of like of words to put English together. Words. Like, yeah. <laughs> Speed rumbler. <laughs> and so this is, I describe it as like a Mad Max style driving game. It definitely takes place in like a post-apocalyptic oh, thing. And you that. just cool. drive around from top down like Legend of Zelda look. You drive around and shoot things. That sounds oh. cool too. I don't know. Actually, so did, so that came out in Japan as well? That came out in Japan. And came to America in the arcade as Rush and Crash. Rush and Crash. Okay, so they are doing the, like, two cool words, put them together. Like, yeah. Russian Attack. Yeah. yeah, Russian Attack is a cool one and mm. also has a nice wordplay. Yeah. Uh, Russian <laughs> Crash just sounds Russian like... Cra- yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's probably Maybe that's like a... Yeah, is that a dig at, like, Sputnik? It didn't crash. What about that... <laughs> we were trying uh, to get what about that dog they left on the moon? Wow, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, was he on the moon? He wasn't on the moon. No, he, he was left on the moon. He's got space. a kennel and everything. Bring him back. He was left on the moon, and yeah, he's uh, still there. Yeah, and Louis Armstrong chose not to bring him back. <laughs> and instead, he decided to take up the trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> Lance yeah. Armstrong, I'll get him now. Yep. Lance Armstrong with his bikes to the moon. <laughs> All right. I don't think Sean was expecting me to get that crazy. Uh, and then the last game from Capcom... It's called Sidearms. It's the... Sidearms. They're on the side. It sounds like a enjoyed, bad, like, TV show. <laughs> Joe just, like, spit in their ears. I'm sorry, uh, it's like, no, it's fine. It's funny. Uh, Sidearms, though, is actually the arcade shmup successor to Section Z. Mm. Oh. Huh. So, would you have played it? No. No. I would have had to for the I podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's how these work. So those are the three that didn't come out. You'll never play them uh, on the NES. And uh, the only known screenshots of them exist in this, uh, not even in this magazine. What am I talking about? They're just online. Uh, so <laughs> go look them up. Uh, then Data East was going to bring out Karnov, uh, which is our very next episode. Uh, the first yeah, so release of 1988. Like it just didn't make or... it to the winter yeah, sure. of 87 and got held back. Uh, they to... forgot to ship it. To 1988, Karnov, uh, you play like this fat, uh, balding man named Karnov. Nice. And That's it's, just it. Yeah, yeah it's day in the life. It looks rough. Like, you gotta like, go to the doctor to get your heart medicine and everything. I would play yeah. that. <laughs> I would play that. It's sure. like a walking simulator. Uh, Wait, then, is it really just like a day in the life kind of thing? No, 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 no. Not even close. It's just <laughs> another, like, um, you know. Action. Yeah, game. it's another Data East game. Yeah. All right. You, know? uh, you got me excited. <laughs> yeah, so look forward to our very first episode of 1988 because it's Data East once again. <laughs> SNK also had two games that didn't make it, uh, and they're their last two on this list. First one is Victory Road. That also got gets postponed to 1988 and has nothing to do with Pokemon, That's Joe. The first thing I think of is Pokemon. <laughs> yep, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, it will we'll play it, so I'm not going to get into any more detail than that. But, Sean, if you had to hypothesize, what is Victory Road about? Uh, it's about, like, being very positive about yourself as you walk down the street. Yeah, it's like a self-help book, but like a video game adaptation yeah. of a self-help uh, book. It's I, a but, cycling game. I would like yeah, to question right, real quick, like, are are things getting delayed, like, newsworthy, like, 30 years later? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't think they actually are. I think they are. Here's, here's why. Here's why. Who, like... Were these games actually delayed? Like, what's the story here? I don't you know? know. I mean, obviously, I don't think games could be delayed back then. I, I think, think it's either they, can. they I don't know. I feel like it's either they came out or they don't. I think that okay, like Duke Nukem Forever, uh, like that's that's newsworthy because it took like a, a decade. 
But if it was just postponed from like a month. winter of 87 <laughs> to January of 88, I don't think we need to be talking about it. It's interesting to think about, but I'm going to continue reading the list. Yeah. I thought these are going to be like all hey, is it, history. Is it like, a cycle game? What is it? It's, I don't know. I said we'll get to it when we get like there. Crash oh, Bandicoot yeah. was set to come out in 87, and then it came out like that would have been like Interesting. Okay. Well, last but not least, this one is important. Psycho Soldier is the last thing that was put on the list as like, look forward to this in your NES. Uh, but Psycho Soldier, made by SNK, Japan only. We covered this a lot on the Athena episode, if you guys will remember. This is like uh, Athena's great, 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 great That was so long ago. Hmm. It was also named Athena. But it's also a Psycho Soldier. I thought it was going to be like, this eventually turned into Manhunt on PS2 or something like that. <laughs> right. Uh, and and just for, for clarity's sake, I'm going to continue to read some outdated news, if that's okay with you, Sean. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, in issue three of the Nintendo Fun Club, we ponder what happens when Link grows up. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Is, is Link more powerful? Is Ganon in the picture? Find out in the amazing The Adventure of Link. See, I don't know. Did we know? Did we know from Legend of Zelda that Link was a child? Yeah, I think the, was, the, it, was the it pictures. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Oh, okay. Probably pictures, something in the backstory yeah. also. Yeah, yeah, it was in the manual, but also like I don't know. That looks like a kid. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, so. you guys all missed the bigger story there, though. Uh, in, oh, that's a it's the wrong title. No, it is. It's the right title. That's it's the, the sequel. Right. Oh, it's the it's sequel. sequel. Nintendo Fun Club issue three, fall nineteen eighty seven is already teasing. Legend of Zelda 2. Right. Because it's already out in Japan. Oh, right. But that won't yeah. be until very end of 88, right? It'll be That's the, the very last, last game, game right? of yeah. 1988. Uh, and I know back in that, that day, like, fans were just waiting for that game to come out. They, yeah. They yeah. were really excited for whatever the Legend of Zelda 2 was going to be. And I just like the idea of what happens when Link grows up. Yeah. Like, yeah. can he still save Hyrule? I mean, it's no, like, is baseball haunted, but it's it's definitely a cool feature. Yeah. Not to mention that the picture that they show with it is the Link from The Adventure of Link. So it's just like him as, like, maybe now he's 12 or 13. Yeah. You know, it's not, like, it's not like what happens yeah. when Link turns into, like, Ocarina of Time right. Link. You and, know? and it makes it, it gives it the vibe, like, saying it like that gives it the vibe that they're saying it's going to be, like... A greedy adult adventure now. Thirty like year old, growing Link. up like yeah, balding. <laughs> and maybe maybe some other news that will excite you. In issue four, we get a Dragon Warrior sneak peek, mm. which has no business being in this sneak peek because this game's not coming out until like either the last day of eighty nine or oh, ninety. No. But like yeah. back then, that's crazy. But now, I mean, that kind of stuff happens all the time, where we get like a we get like a teaser for a game that comes out three years later. Well, I mean, or... look at Metroid Prime Four, right? That's just yeah. a change in news cycle. But like, yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I feel yeah, I guess that's true. It's, it's just it's just different back then. Like back then, it was probably yeah. like, what is taking so long? Right. Now? It's like, <laughs> it, it's oh, this game looks awesome. I can't wait for three years from now when it comes <laughs> yeah. out. You don't have to sell. You wouldn't waste your time selling the hype for a game that's not going to come out anytime soon. You know, you want people to buy like the at this yeah. point. You know, you want people to buy the most recent games that are coming out as they're coming out. Dragon Warrior seems like I, I mentioned it because maybe it could have came out earlier. I mean, it's already out in Japan in '87. So what's taking so long yeah. to get to yeah. America? The the long story short is that people want to, you know, like they want to figure out will it even sell here? Like will mm, kids yeah. play RPGs? You know, it's like a whole thing up for discussion but it even goes into like how to get your password in dragon warrior and stuff like that like like really strange stuff and i'm just like that doesn't happen either like dragon (laughs) Dragon warrior has a save interesting uh, did it in japan 
I, I honestly don't know, yeah. and I don't feel comfortable answering. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that's okay. We'll let you have that. I haven't felt comfortable at all this episode. <laughs> Nintendo Fun Club, uh, as as a as another thing that they just want to um, let everyone know, is who's in Mario's backyard? Excuse <laughs> me. Who's in Mario's backyard? Have we seen Mario's house? No, we haven't. No, I didn't know Mario <laughs> was a, a property Who's in Mario's backyard. I assumed that he was like a he it was like a rental kind of deal. <laughs> well, the answer is the person in Mario's backyard. That's none other than Bow Wow Wow Wowzer. <laughs> what is this? A it was a joke <laughs> in the Nintendo Fun Club issue three. Wait, was was the answer Bow Wow Wowzer like in smaller print upside down? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bow wow wow wowzer. Yeah, like you could have gotten it. Like you could have gotten that answer without even without Sean's peaking. copy change makes more sense though. It should just be bow wow wowzer. Yeah. You know, like bow oh. wow wow wowzer. Well, my apologies for not. No, you made the correct. Uh, you, made, you found the syntax error. <laughs> so there's a there's, that's a lot of a strange stuff there. But the the final thing that we need to talk about for Nintendo Fun Club is that they had. The uh, readers of the magazine submit their top five games of the NES so far. And then uh. they tallied all the votes. And so I thought since we're going to count down our uh, top ten at the end of this episode, we might as well let everyone know what public opinion was like back then. The fifth best game available on the Nintendo Entertainment System. That it doesn't matter if it came out in 85, 86, or 87. The fifth best game, according to readers, Pro Wrestling. My uh, God! What? Okay, I guess people Times were really sadistic changed, back yeah. then. Yeah, good sense of humor. Yep. Number four, Kid Icarus. Number three, Metroid. Number two, is it Legend of Zelda or Super Mario Brothers? Super Mario. Oh, no, Legend of Zelda. Yeah, right. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say Legend of Zelda. Legend of Zelda. 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 It's Super Mario Brothers, okay. and wow. the number one okay. game is Legend of Zelda, guys. Zelda fever was happening Good. back then. Cool. Uh, you know, that was like, they <laughs> were just taking over every yeah, Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> it was just taking over everything. Um, and so it took over the top of that list, and that's their top five. I don't know how pro wrestling squeezed in there. Did they not hear about Gradius? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can name uh, there are any other games those, that could have been there. Are those all Nintendo games? Yeah, those are all like Nintendo R and D games. Wait, Nintendo R&D was pro wrestling. Yeah. I had no so idea. maybe you well, think I, they would I just exclude third party games, or that's, I'm saying they think I think they did. Yeah, that's uh, what I think. But they yeah. didn't. Uh, you know, like like they didn't say that it's only yeah. for Nintendo games, right? They but they want to promote their own. They want to promote five. their own stuff. Yeah, that makes right. sense. And now uh, it's time for something that we have all been waiting for: our top ten games of 1987.
Welcome to what is probably the most relaxed section of the episode, and you must say, how is that possible? Like, (laughs) you guys have been relaxed this entire time, I've been hitting the 30-second skip uh, moments at a time just to get to this thing, and I'd say, that's impossible, you shouldn't have done that because we have chapter markers for everything, so just click on the chapter marker to get to this part. Click it. Right. So if you feel like you wasted your time, go back to those other parts and do that too. Anyway, uh, we're going to do our top 10 games of 1987. You may remember how the rules work. In 1985 and 1986, there weren't enough games, so we just did five because we didn't (laughs) think we needed 10. But now with 53 games uh, coming out in one year, we decided that we needed to do our top 10. Uh, If you award something 10th place, it gets one point. If you award something first place, it gets 10 points. We then sort based on highest number of points, and so therefore something that gets like 50 points, which is impossible, 40 <laughs> points. Something that gets 40 points would have the number one score right. without a doubt. And as okay. you can see, we've perfected the description of how that works. Yeah, we did really good. Go back and listen to 1986. I think I actually went through and said, like, 10 on. would be worth yeah. one, 9 would be worth yeah. one. I broke it all down. Don't worry about that. We'll do the math for you. Okay? <laughs> right now, uh, does everybody have their lists out? Yes, sir. Okay, so we're going to do our uh, number 10 game, okay? Number 10 for me is track and field. Wow. Interesting. Yes. Uh, I, I think that the, uh, you know, definitely 10 through 5 should be interesting picks for most of us because yeah. they're such a diverse lineup. I say track and field because I really had a great time with how simple they kept the control scheme while still managing to pull off, I think, seven different events. So I, I really appreciated that from like a game design point, but also as a fan of Running in general, you guys, yeah, you would know that I probably would have a bias for this one. I'm not saying that if you don't love this game, there's something wrong with you. I'm not saying I even love it. I just think that in terms of what the NES has given us, this is a game that uh, understands the limitations of the system and used it uh, accordingly. (laughs) Track and field. It wasn't all that ambitious. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Doesn't yeah. have to be. Which actually, you know, if we're being honest, that probably helps it. Yeah. Uh, last it's like what we were talking about with Zapper Games. I Think know. about Schoon. Yeah. That's not going to be anyone's top ten. <laughs> oh, you wait. I know. Uh, Sam, would you please give us your number ten? My number ten game is Stinger. All right. Stinger. Uh, yeah. An essential game uh, by some of us. By yeah. some of us. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting take on uh, a shmup. Um, it's cute. You know, I like all the visuals. Um, you know, kind of nice little music. Yeah. It's just like, it's pretty solid. It's a solid shmup that's a little bit different. And that's, that's about it. That's kind of my takeaway from it. Great. Uh, Sean, you're number 10. My number 10 is Spy Hunter. Um, I know that it wasn't all that well loved in the uh, episode, uh, even by my standards. But looking back on it, I, I did still enjoy my time with it. And, uh, I think it still had a bit of an uh, an edge to it. If if any of these NES games could have an edge, um, uh, that I appreciated, like the tone, even though there well there wasn't a story, but uh, I still like um, any kind of car combat. So that's why it's there. Okay, Joe. My number ten is The Goonies two. Wow, yeah, four and, different games. Yeah, for number and I 10. think these are yeah these are interesting interesting picks all around. But The Goonies two just because I feel like it is one of those games where you know your goal right away. You have you have your mission to save all all of your friends, and as you're going through, you're you're picking up little uh, little upgrades and you're exploring new parts of the map. It's just, I think that's just a fun experience, and it's kind of 
been lacking in general overall on the NES so far, so I feel like it was cool to cool to do that. Yeah, definitely uh, the first of its kind for that for right. that type of game. Even though we had yeah. you know we, yeah, Legend we, of Zelda yeah. and stuff like right. that. And this we, was we definitely had problems with the uh what do you call that? The the first person perspective. The first person part, yeah. Like that probably could have been better, but it was cool to see them try. Yep. All right. Uh Joe, if you don't mind, just to make the orders different, can you give us your number nine? My number nine is Stinger. All right. <laughs> and I I know I didn't vote this essential, but I did really think it was had had a lot of charm to it and it was a really fun kind of invoked a little bit of cuphead for me with the with the design of the enemies and everything. Um I almost had I can't remember if it was the bells specifically like Dante had, but I had I think I wasn't crazy about the bells as far as the the way that the power ups worked. Them. Mm-hmm. Right. And you had and, to hit them yeah. a certain amount of and time. I, and I think my my biggest reason it's not higher on the list is because when you lose your power-ups, I feel like it is vastly unbalanced of a game. Compared to, Once you lose your power-ups late in the game, I almost feel like you might as well start over. Uh, that's why it's not higher, but I did think it was a really, charging, a really charming and fun game. Cool. Sean, number nine. My number nine is Top Gun. Uh, I think that as far as the NES can go, this is just a great simulation, uh, even though it it's... It's a terrible simulation, <laughs> but uh, it, it really captures at least the feeling of uh, being in the cockpit of like an F whatever number those sorts F-16? of things. F-16? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it captures like the, the speed, um, the, uh, the the tenseness. I, this is one of the games that I felt the most tense playing, and uh, I enjoyed landing. All right. So take that as you there will. There you go. You've heard it here first. Uh, Sam, number uh, nine. My number nine is also Top Gun. Nice. All right. Um, for many of the same reasons. <laughs> uh, and also, something you didn't say, that I think it's just a super polished game. Yeah. It's one of those that has, like, a cool start menu. Um, I, I like the landing part also. I didn't have trouble with it. Uh, I didn't even know that you had to get those specific numbers. <laughs> oh, I was just like, I'm serious. I just got it. Um, <laughs> I'm just a natural pilot, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's just an interesting game. It's very different from any of the other games that we saw this year. And it's just, I don't know, it's exciting. It's tense, like Sean was saying. And I just had a good time with it. Cool. And my number nine is Rygar. Uh, I was really surprised by this game, especially that it came out uh, before all the other heavy hitters. It was, I think it would have disappointed me if it came after Legend of Zelda and Metroid, but the fact that it kind of warmed me up for them also, like, reminded me of, like, hey, yeah, these these are how some of these video games are supposed to feel. Like, you're supposed to, like, make progress and, you know, make mistakes and figure out where to go and, and things like that. We didn't, we, we haven't really had too many options like that before Rygar, so I definitely think it deserves a mention on my list. Uh, Sean, will you please give us your number eight? My number eight is Rad Racer. Um... I think this is the the best racer, at least in this this year. Uh, there aren't many. Uh, I think that might be the only one. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about the racing game, <laughs> but it yeah. is the best. Uh, like but it is the best. best by default, and uh, I, I just like the aesthetic of it. Um, it's it's just my style, and it's it's just a personal uh, a personal relationship I have with the game. Uh, it's it's by no means a a perfect game. Uh, I think that the 3D that was done in it was, you know, serviceable. And I think that, like, the night maps in uh, specifically are just really cool to look at. Um, 
But yeah, I just enjoyed playing it, and there isn't really much else I can say about it. All right. Joe? My number eight is Slalom. And I know we've had some controversy about Slalom, but I really enjoyed... I enjoyed Slalom. I enjoyed the skiing aspect of it, and it felt... <laughs> the game. It felt like a real <laughs> relaxing gameplay. It felt like, it, you know, it felt like... I think Sam and I talked about this on the episode that felt like something I would play on my phone today. Yeah. You know, it, it just feels like a fun, relaxing skiing. Felt like Mock Rider, but in a different uh, genre. Okay. I like that. And uh, my number eight was also Slalom. Uh, I was very hyped on this when that episode came out. I think I've cooled a little bit uh, going back to it. I, I kind of feel like, yes, the game is well polished, but it, it doesn't really offer uh, a lot in the in the sense of like, yeah, that the mountain, the three mountains aren't just like three stages. They are broken up into pieces, but it, it's not really enough different between the easy and the hard, despite like throwing more litter on the screen. <laughs> so I still think the game is very polished in terms of like controls and like objective, but it doesn't uh it doesn't leave as much for replay value and so it kind of, it kind of lowered on my list for that reason. Sam, my number 8 is Double Dribble. Um nice. And I I don't know, I think it's a fun little like arcade style sports game and we don't get a lot of good sports games on the NES yeah. and I think that the fact that there is one uh, is kind of remarkable on its own. Yeah. Um, plus, you gotta stand for the uh, national anthem. <laughs> uh, you got it. Yeah. But no, I just I think it's fun and cute. And I think if I had an NES growing up, that would be one that I'd want to play with my friends. And Double Dribble might be like the first, or no, it's not the first because a lot of us had golf. Uh, on our right. 1985 list. I think Double Dribble is the next no, one that's is, as good uh, as golf. Sean put, I had soccer on yeah, mine. Yeah, Sean put soccer oh, yeah. on his, and that's yeah. that's also a mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're a mistake. <laughs> no, it's fine. Double Dribble is not a mistake. It has those awesome cutscenes. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Joe, do you want to give us your number seven? My number seven is Rygar. Uh, and I loved Rygar at the time, and I still love Rygar, and I do see... I do see its flaws as the combat's not great, but uh, I think that it being the adventure game I'm always talking about. I'm sure you guys are like, shut up about how much you love adventures and games. But For the adventure serious. game I'm always, I'm always talking about, but being bite-sized. So it feels like I can sit down in a night or two and just say, I'm going to beat Rygar. You know, I'm going to play through it. And it's got an open map, an open world map, and it's got these different levels. But they feel they feel large, but they're small enough that you can kind of learn them quickly and, and kind of get through it before this game overstays its welcome. All right. Sam? Number seven. Uh, my number seven is Raid on Bungling Bay. And I, it's just, there's no other game that I've played that's like this game. I, I like that it kind of has all these different systems at work in it, and you can see all the planes taking off, and, you know, there's, like, ground things happening on the ground, there's things happening in the air, there's things happening, like, everywhere. you got to, like, refuel. It's just, there's a it's just a cool game, you know, um, and very different and very fun. All right. Yeah. Sean? My seven is also right on Bengling Bay. Wow. You guys. Yeah. Compatible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the, this game is the first and only so far that will just carry on without you. Uh, the, the game develops at its own pace and you have to react to it. Um, you have a, you have an effect on the game, on the systems at work. While those while those systems may not be uh, all that complex, 
uh, it is still really impressive that they did this on the NES and because I really enjoy systems-based games that have the uh, aspect of emergent behavior, uh, this really just just hit the spot for me um, as uh, a little curiosity, and I have to give it a shout-out in my top ten. Something about the way that you... Um you described the game at first made me think of like someone who bought it in 87 and like had to leave their house suddenly <laughs> and just realized that they've left the game on for like 30 years and like the hits like the most rapid advanced yeah. like electronic um there's a AI. city now <laughs> and, like right. you know, they all have different town names they're slowly and... figuring their way out, yeah, out of the program. game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds like a good plot to a movie i'd, I'd watch that my number 7 is Metroid. Uh, I know that, yeah, I know that's going to hurt some people, but here's the deal with me and Metroid, okay? Fine idea. Um, okay execution. Uh, I, I'm not too crazy about the way that uh, Samus controls in the game. I'm not too crazy of the layout of the map, and I'm not too crazy about the way that things are just scattered throughout, so there's a lot of backtracking in a not-so-satisfying way. So those three things take it down a notch for me. That said, it's number seven on my list. So you know I like it. I definitely like the game. The music's the best part, which is crazy to say. But also, we got to throw thanks to a game that's going to give us so many other good titles down the line. Yeah. So Metroid's my number seven. And my number six is Stinger. Uh, I voted Stinger Essential. I still uh, pretty much agree with that. I think Stinger is a, is a very um, interesting game in the NES timeline because it didn't do anything too differently and we already had Gradius on there but I just enjoyed it so much and I think most of us did that we just felt right voting it essential and you know I know the bell system and the juggling thing isn't great but I actually think that that's a creative way to decide you know how power-ups work in a game because you have to choose whether you're going to focus on the bells or focus on the enemies no enemies here are going to, like, 100% take you out. If you're good at dodging things in this game, you can dodge almost any enemy. So you almost have to make a choice of, like, would I be better off taking out the pizza boxes or taking <laughs> out the, the bells? You know, like, do I need a power-up right now or should I take care of what's on the screen in front of me? And I thought that was, like, a really nice system. I really like games with, with distinct, simple systems. Sean? My six is Metroid. Um... I mean, again, like I, I voted this essential. Uh, it remains to be seen whether or not that was just uh, um, playing into the legacy of the series or whether or not I truly enjoyed it as much as I thought I did. Um, but I still really liked playing the game, and uh, uh, it was just the idea of the the, the birth of the Metroidvania uh, the the ideas behind the behind the exploration elements and this game being uh, completely connected throughout your entire playthrough. Um, again, new ideas are gonna get me excited. Um, so that's that's uh, why it's there. I, I, again, yeah, it didn't it didn't feel great. It didn't feel great in in the character control, but that's that's why it's up there. All right, Sam. Your number six. My number six is Slalom. Uh, and I I really love this game. I think it's just, like, it's simple and it's a lot of fun and you kind of know what you're getting when you go into it. Uh, you can play it for a long time or a short time. And I, I don't know. It, it's just, it's simple. It's got really good feel to it and it's very polished. 
And um, I don't know. That, that's about All it. All right. Hey, yeah. you only have to say what you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> Joe? Number so, six. My number six? Kid Icarus. And Kid Icarus, I think, was the first, not maybe not the first time, but but a good example of a time where we see that every level feels like progress. Like you 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 know you kind of know the map you're going. If you if you read the manual, you know the story of you're starting on in the underworld type level. You're going up. You're going over. You know you you feel like you're going vertical for a reason. You feel like you're going horizontal for like a story driven reason. But also it feels like different kind of gameplay. And I feel like. Every level kind of has something to offer, and the game doesn't get stale because of that. So All that's, right, that's my uh, number six. And that brings us to the halfway point uh, in the in the program, and <laughs> so we're going to really quickly mention the worst game that we played in 1987. Mm. And just keep in mind that you know the, we can all have the same worst game. That's fine. It probably would make more sense, honestly. So don't feel too much pressure. Yeah. Sam, worst game, 1987, what do you got? Worst game, Winter Games. Winter Games, okay. Because uh, <laughs> it's the kind of thing where the games that I was bad at, I feel like I was bad at them because it was like made really poorly. you know. And then once you... But the games that I'm good at, I feel like I'm good at because they were made really poorly. you know. And I think that... It's the kind of game that's very shallow and that once you figure out the trick to it, then you'll just win all the time anyway. Um, not that I did figure out the trick for like <laughs> speed skating or whatever because I suck at that. But it's just it very shallow, I would say. All right. Sean? See, I, I feel like a, a game like uh, Winter Games is disqualified for me just because it's shovelware and it's expected to be bad and... Uh, it's like saying a flash game is bad to me, at least. Yeah. Like it's just the 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 premise is bad. Um, for me, it was Deadly Towers. It was just an amalgamation of bad ideas and poorly executed ideas and terrible art. So it's just it's my worst game. All right, Joe. So for me, when I was looking through these, it came down between Deadly Towers and Winter Games, <laughs> <laughs> and. I gotta give it to Winter Games because I, I I think that I do agree that it's shallow, but I feel like they they had something that was shallow and then they overcomplicated like the way you pull, the controls to it like they have this very simple task and I, if I remember correctly in the manual there was like a whole equation you had to plug into your controller <laughs> in order to do so it was like they took something that was like a shallow idea shallow what, what's actually happening on the screen and made it this overly complex like trying to simulate what it would really how difficult it would really be to do these moves and I think that just did not translate to good gameplay and so with my vote Winter Games is officially <laughs> the worst game of 1987 right. because None of look, look. Deadly Towers is bad. You've got my sympathies for sure. <laughs> um, I definitely think that um, Deadly Towers is up there as one of the worst NES games of all time. Winter Games is so bad though because it's such a like track and field is my number ten. <laughs> like it's such an easy thing to get right, and they made it so complicated that even the ones that you, even the um, events that you can pull off in Winter Games, right? Like the hot dog. Uh, jump right. or whatever. It's called like yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. 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 Well, even that one. It, like you can do it, but you can't do it well. Even the ones that you can pull off, like it cannot be played like with perfection. Like it should be as simple as just like 
hit the A button at a different time and different things happen, you know? But instead, it's like Joe was saying, like, you have to calculate, you know, like, make sure when you yeah. land, you're holding the down button, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you were also holding A, and then you release it as soon as you hold the down button. It's like, don't do that to me yeah. in a video and game like, ever. The figure skating one, also, I, I feel like there's a formula oh God, for whatever, like, that. the maximum amount of points is. And once you figure that out, that's just what you do. That's right. what you do, yeah. right? Yeah. You don't even have to look at the screen. You just. But if yeah. I'm not doing crazy control things to, to control my whip in Castlevania, right? If right. I'm not doing crazy things with my controller for that, I shouldn't be doing them for a ski jump. Right. You know? It shouldn't happen. So, Winter Games, you are the worst. And you should feel bad. continue uh we are now on to our number fives i will uh, set the tone here and i will say that my number five is mega man mega man i loved mega, mega man. man halfway into playing that game uh <laughs> I, first i hated mega man and i thought i was really bad at video games but i've been playing a lot of mega man and it just keeps getting better and better so i don't even know this could this could go higher for me, honestly. As of right now, it's my number five. I put it right so, at the like, halfway mark. when we get to four, you might say Mega Man again. I might say yeah. Mega Man again. <laughs> the sky's the limit, honestly. Who knows where Mega Man's going to go? It might be my five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> Mega Man is really good, and I don't have anything else to say about it. So, number five for sure. Joe? My number five is Metroid. And and I, I won't reiterate too much of what everyone else has already said about Metroid, but I, I just loved the the way that they made the exploration feel very hostile, and it felt... Like they were trying, they were trying to make it hostile, trying to make it feel like you're in danger. I don't really know the legacy of what comes after this game, so this game alone sold itself to me. I mean, I know of the legacy, of course, but I, I don't really know anything about these later games. Um, I, yeah, I did think that the, the controls weren't perfect, but they didn't bother me that much, so I, I really enjoyed it. Sean, my number five is Stinger. Um, I think that this game is sort of like a remix of all the best ideas in shmups. Um, while they might not work in context, like what, what do bells have to do with anything? Uh, I think that all of the uh, all of the gameplay elements in there sort of uh, worked perfectly together. So um, as far as shmups can go, this is uh, the high water mark for 1987. All right, Sam. Uh, my number five is Castlevania. And, you know, brilliant game, great game. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just something about it. I, it prevents it from getting a little bit higher for me. Uh, maybe it's just the way enemies spawn. Um, but, you know, what needs to be said about it? It's it's a great, great game. Not knocking it at all. But just me personally, the way I like games, it doesn't get a little bit higher. Okay. Yeah. Sean, back to you for your number four. My number four is Mega Man. Uh, I've, I've spoken at length about Mega Man. It was only a couple episodes ago. You already talked about it. Uh, I think it's a great exercise in how to structure an adventure game. 
Um, I think I like that we're going to see more of that because there's so many of them. Um, but uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun, even though it was punishingly hard. Okay, Joe, you're number four. My number four is Castlevania. And the biggest thing about it that that first thing that jumped out to me was that it reminded me of Ghosts and Goblins, but which I loved, but gave me less of the things that were a little frustrating about Ghosts and Goblins. I, I I loved the progressing through like you do like you do in Ghosts and Goblins, and I loved the like different uh, power ups and the different enemies and everything. Um, the only thing I'd say against it is that yeah, enemy spawning and some of that is a little is a little. Uh, lacking as, as far as uh, direction, but otherwise, I honestly think this is like I can't imagine playing enough games where I would, but this would fall too low on my list. All right, and my number four is Kid Icarus. Uh, I I love Kid Icarus. I think I think it had me right away with the title screen. Um, I wish I could put it higher, but I think that what comes next is even better. So I'm, I'm not going to. But it's just like I, this game really has a special place for me just because it did so many things, so many different systems in a game while never making the whole thing seem convoluted because they were limited to the screen that they were on. It didn't try to throw all the ideas all at once and say like, you can haggle with the shop owner, but you, at the same time, you can also attack enemies, and you can also, uh, it's a shmup too, whatever you want, just fly around the stage. And like, you know, it knew when it needed to be certain things. It has that dungeon element from Legend of Zelda, but just keeps it to like, you know, you don't have to find the dungeon, it's just the next stage is like that. You just try to figure your way around around that uh, those areas. And then it has like the... The RPG mechanics of like different power ups, but you can skip by that stuff and just try to play as like base level uh, pit, you know? Like you don't have to do anything. You can play the game on hard mode, I guess, if you wanted to. So there's a lot there to unpack. Uh, it's definitely not polished in general, uh, but I think it, it's, it offers, like, I would even say Mega Man's more polished than Kid Icarus, but I give Kid Icarus more points just for how creative it was as a game. Sam, you're number four. My number four is Metroid, and I think that the atmosphere of Metroid is kind of unlike any other game that we've seen or, you know, any other game that we've played so far. Uh, music is outstanding. Uh, gameplay itself can be really challenging, but it's the kind of thing that I feel like it it would grow on you the more that you play it. Uh, and the fact that you're just kind of lost in this big world is something new and I know Sean was saying it a little bit before when he was mentioning it, um, but that I think is like you know it's pushing the bar for NES games, and I think it's really interesting. Yeah, you I'll feel the dread. You yeah. feel the dread. Yeah. You for game. sure feel the dread. And when you finally enter a new area and the music changes, it's just exciting. And Sam, if you wouldn't mind, can you give us your number three? I would love to. My number three is Mega Man, and I think that the structure of Mega Man is kind of the total opposite. In uh, of Metroid, in that you have to strategize how you do it, but I love that you gain the powers as you come, and so you feel like you have this tangible thing from each one of the levels that you um, that you complete. So not only do you have the satisfaction of actually beating a level, but you have something that makes you know the next level even easier, uh, and then you just become Mega Man at the end of it, and it's just cool. It's a cool game with an interesting way of level progression. Um, yeah, and great music, too. All right. Sean, you're number three. My number three is Punch-Out. Uh, it's 
it's one of those games that uh, when when Joe was speaking about uh, the worst game, that uh, it's something that you could do without even looking at the screen. Well, there are people that do this without looking at the screen, but it's also because it's more of a performance than it is uh, just button mashing in a certain way. Um, I, the, the like the framing device of uh, of you working up all of these uh, up up the rankings. I, I like that. I like the character that that goes into all of your opponents. Uh, it's it's a really uh, it's a it's a really fun game that's got great character and charm to it. And Joe, your number three. My number three, I do want to say, was very close to my number two. It was a tough call, but I went with Punch-Out as well. And what jumps out to me about Punch-Out is that so far we haven't really had anything with great boss battles. Like this, I feel like we're almost before the era of like real boss battles. But Punch-Out is like boss battle the game. (laughs) And that's that's what draws me to it. And it's... Every every enemy and every boss in that is so like intentionally designed and has its own character and its own strategy that you need to implement to to take it down. It just it's there's just so much thought put into everything behind it that it, it feels like polished great gameplay. All right, and my number three is The Legend of Zelda. Uh, probably a surprise. That is a shock. But um, I think. That everything that the legend, the Legend of Zelda is so, so such an incredible game, such a uh, breathtaking game at, at the time when it came out, and compared to everything that we played this year, I know we were talking about like Mega Man, what a cool system! I'd like to see that applied to every game. I wouldn't like to see Legend of Zelda's system applied to every game because I just think it's such a unique and does it on its own that I just want to see more Legend of Zelda games. You know, like I, I just want that to be its own thing and. And, and it's done really well and everything like that. But there's a lot of things here in, in this very first game that future games will improve on. And having played those future games, going back to this, at certain points was a bit of a chore to to find out information or to... Uh, I just, you know, like the top-down combat of it, like having played Link to the Past and stuff like that. I was like, oh, this, this is kind of a little janky <laughs> compared to like what I'm used to from top-down Zeldas. So I think, like, it's all hindsight here. If this was 1987, I could totally understand why the Nintendo Fun Club readers put it as their number one. It probably would have been my number one in 1987 as well. But uh, having played it today, there there are some setbacks, and so that's why it's my number three. Number two, Joe. My number two is Mega Man. Very different than Punch-Out, but they were, they were very close on this uh, fighting for this number two spot. But Mega Man being... Uh, the being the first game where we can really choose our path and it having a significant, significant effect on the, the type of gameplay we have, and also it, I, I understand the the outlook that it's that it's so hard, crushingly hard. But when you really step back and look at it and start playing it, it's very, it's a very learnable game. I'd say up until you beat the first five stages or six stages and you go to Dr. Wily's stage, in which point it's, it is very difficult, but now you've, now you're into the game, you know, the gameplay, everything, it feels great to control. And I, it's rare for me to be going back to these games and trying to beat them after we've recorded the episode. But this is one that I'm actually having genuine fun playing it regardless of any obligation to play it for this podcast. So I'm going back to it to try and beat it. Um, even if it takes me a long time, even if I don't beat it, I, doesn't hurt the experience for me. 
All right. Sean, you're number two. My number two is Legend of Zelda. Um, we've spoken at length about it. I don't need to praise it any more than we already have. Uh, the only reason that it stays below the number one is because it can be a little obtuse at times. Uh, and while I like the social aspect in which you're supposed to solve these problems, um, it's, it's, it's a little much for me. So number two, Legend of Zelda. All right. My number two is Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Uh, I really like Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Joe talked about the boss rush thing, and I think that's totally true. Uh, the fact that each enemy in the game is not only their own boss, but also has their own way of being taken out is just beautiful. We've also talked on the podcast about a lot of reasons why we like this, and the rhythm game thing holds true as well. <laughs> hey, I don't know. It's just it's just such a unique game, and, and it's so polished. Uh, it's probably the most polished game on this list, actually. Um just because of the way that even 30 years later, people are still finding out little tells and stuff like that about <laughs> like how to how to take down bosses. And they're still figuring out ways to beat the game faster and stuff like that. And, and not due to glitches, just due to like, oh, you know, if you hit him at this time, like he'll actually TKO like immediately. You know, like little things like that. This is such an interesting game that has like pretty much everyone at least knows the idea of Mike Dyson's Punch-Out! And, and also, like, let's not forget the training sequence and stuff like that. <laughs> like, all these little touches that really, like, build up the whole, like... It's a small story, but it, it's also, like, it's told efficiently, it plays efficiently, and whether you can get far or not, it doesn't really matter because you'll have fun doing what you can in this game. So that's why it's my number two. Sam, your number two. My number two is also Punch-Out! And, I, you know, all kind of the same reasons that you said... Super, super polished. There's so much personality in this game, especially with with each one of the the fighters. You know, it. I, we haven't seen those kind of characters in any of the games that we've played, where each person not only do they look like an individual, but they act and they play like an individual too. Um, and it, it's just you know, it's tons of fun to play, and it's simple, but complicated at the same time because the controls are fairly straightforward uh but you can do so much with it and i think that's really the mark of a, of a really solid game all right we are now entering the number one zone <laughs> there are 53 games in 1987 and now we will all say our favorite game of 1987 all Start. at once. <laughs> uh, you know, might as well, right? Like, what more do we have? To, what more do we have to say about these games? I would just like you to make uh, everybody could just make a quick statement, right? Uh, uh, about the, their number one game. Let's start with Sean. Your number one. My number one game of 1987 is Castlevania. To me, this is the the most complete experience in an action game uh, up to this point, and. Uh, it, it's oozing in atmosphere and uh, in and it's challenging and challenging in a fun way. Even though I couldn't beat Dracula, Joe, your number one game. My number one game, Legend of Zelda. Uh, probably doesn't come to as much of a surprise, but uh, you're not your hand is not held in this game, and and I know that that's a flaw that we talked about. But I think that it that it there was nothing that was too that was so unfair that you didn't know that it that it hurt. The experience. I think that you not you having to kind of really struggle to find these to find out how to get through this game is what makes the world feel a little more real to me. And 
you know, I'm always talking about how I love this kind of like world building in games. Sam, you're number one. My number one is also Legend of Zelda. And kind of for the same reasons, it's really the only game that feels like an adventure game. Uh, well, I guess besides Metroid for me, but, you know, in it a feels compl- like a complete adventure, a complete yeah. adventure in a very different way than Metroid does uh, with each screen being like a little mini adventure. Um, and, you know, you feel stronger as you go. It's just, you know, it's kind of unprecedented at this point. All right. And my number one game of 1987 is Castlevania. Love Castlevania. Uh, The thing that puts it above Punch-Out for me is all of the things that Sean said, honestly, but also that Castlevania, at the end of the day, feels more like a video game to me than than (laughs) Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Like, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out feels like a a thing that you do over and over and over again, and it's very satisfying. Whereas Castlevania, it, it, it you know... There's room to experiment. Th- yeah, there's room to experiment, and there's also room, like like you were saying with the atmosphere and stuff like that, there's room to just enjoy what you're experiencing constantly as you go through the game, you know? Uh, I know that the, the Dracula setting might not be for everyone, <laughs> and people think that, like, me and Sean are some, like, Dracula nerds or something, but we're not. I, I really don't even like horror films that much. I don't really like I, vampires. I just think that they figured they figured out that genre so well and also figured out how to make it fun and silly and smart and, and dynamic all at once. Like, there, there's, there's a presentation to everything here that... I'm kind of just blown away that for a second year in a row, Konami has made my favorite game of the year. <laughs> like, it's it's insane how they continue to do this. And I don't know if they'll pull it off again in 1988, but I am so thankful that uh, we got Castlevania here because this game, playing it for nostalgia, kind of, like, reawakened me just playing Castlevania games in general. And so I've really just gone back and played a lot of them, and, and what a franchise this is. So Castlevania is my number one. Bird up. But that doesn't mean that it's the number one game of all time. For that, we have to calculate the scores. We will take a quick break, and I'll give you the score. Beep, boop, boop, boop. Beep, boop. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the moment everyone's been waiting for, the top ten games of 1987. Uh, no hard feelings to anybody if their game didn't get included. <laughs> Good luck, everyone. We, Good luck, yeah, everyone. We, we <laughs> thank you for voting. Um, I know we have uh, a lot of the developers in attendance here. So. Should we have like different people read the like nominations or the? Uh, let's not drag this out. Yeah, okay. Let's not drag this out. I was gonna say yeah. Please wait till the end to hold yeah. your applause. You know, like hold your applause to yeah. the end. Uh, number ten with six points. Rygar. All right. I'll take it. <laughs> it's on the list. Applause. That's on applause. It's on the list. It's on the list. Number nine with eight points. Raid on Bungling Bay. Number eight with 11 points. Slalom. Number seven with 12 points. Kid Icarus. Fueled almost entirely by me. (laughs) (laughs) Number six with 14 points. It's Stinger. Number five with 22 points. That's quite a jump. It is Metroid. Metroid is our number five. So by now you know the games that are coming up. But do you know the order? I don't think so. Because as we enter our number four, we have a tie. And so we must decide that by the rules. We have to decide that right here and now. 
The did we break the rules? For, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did it. We did it in 1986. Oh, okay. oh right. Um, remember back to 1986. Remember when we wrote the Constitution <laughs> for nostalgia? <laughs> Uh, we have a tie for 31 points. Now, keep in mind, Metroid was number five with just 22. So <laughs> oh, these are yeah. very popular games. But we have a tie for, for fourth place between Mega Man and Castlevania. Hmm. And so we must decide now which one deserves the number three spot. And if you're asking me, it's no question. Yeah. It's, Castlevania. it's Castlevania. I hope you guys can see it in your hearts to understand uh, why I Castlevania. Go okay, but l- let me just try and convince you with something, okay? Mega Man, right, has has an inherent problem that Castlevania doesn't have in the sense that in Mega Man there is a missable item <laughs> yeah, okay. when you okay. get down to the final boss of the game and you don't have that, you don't progress. You know, I, I'm not sure that convinced me, but before you started that, I was like, there's nothing you could say that convinced me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess that is an issue. But I, I also think that Mega Man just... I, I, the, the one thing about Castlevania that bothers me, I do think that it... it doesn't control quite as well as, as Mega Man. Mm-hmm. Go, I agree. Okay, wait I, a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Guts Man, you use his power up just to pick up specific boulders that are placed in very specific situations, making for very uncreative uh, game design decisions. Whereas in Castlevania, any power up is useful at any moment, and I doubt to think that none of them are not great. Like uh, I mean, that, I will say that like I don't. There were specific power ups that we decided to skip because they would make things but worse. They yeah. still, but they would still, but they would still be useful. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, I would say that. Um, I hope that. Um, the designer that placed the what, what, what was the tool called? Uh, the magnet beam. The magnet beam yeah. in that specific place is uh, weeping right now. That he's he's endangered this, his entire yeah, game. Honestly, I, I'd also oh, yeah, go ahead. I'd also like to bring up enemy placement because I think that Mega Man turns enemy placement into such a big part of the game, and it turns it into. More of a like, how do I use my assets to destroy, like, to get I these enemies? That is entirely the case in in Castlevania yeah, as but well. You, but in Castlevania, if you have the wrong one at that time, then you're screwed. You know, if you get to a guy and you're like, oh, well, I only have the axe, but you strategy. can still beat it with. Right, you but, can that, still but beat I it with that, you still that can. The but same, then, but the, it removes that strategy. Also, just note it. that in Mega Man, if you walk away from the screen, even just for respawn. like half a frame, it'll yeah. just respawn. Yeah. Not saying that this uh, yeah, is Castlevania, yeah. but yeah, because it does, right? Right, it yeah. does. <laughs> but I don't know. I still think that Mega Man just is so the 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 levels are so well designed. Not that they're not in Castlevania, but I just feel like the level, the amount that I like Mega Man more than Castlevania is enough for me to somewhat forgive the uh, the magnet beam. Debacle only because <laughs> debacle <laughs> only the because crisis. even if you miss it, it's almost part of the game. Well, granted, it is. It does suck that there's no indication once you get to that level, that Wily level, that you don't Poor know what you're supposed to do, except for the fact that it is on the first page of the manual. But I, I will Second say that, that is. I, I, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I do agree that is a big hindrance, but I don't know if it's quite enough for me to change it. Here's the thing. Yeah, Mike and Sean. I'm referring to myself in the third person now. <laughs> Voted Castlevania in first place. Okay, <laughs> their best game of '87. No one did that for Mega Man. So, in fact, only one second place vote for Mega Man. 
to go to the, to the next Mega Man things are to because find some it, but it's not a first place game. So, so here's yeah, the thing: we're changing the rules. We need to talk yeah. real quick about about uh, about points in waiting. Like uh, in in many games w- with racing elements, like I'm right now, I'm playing uh, Forza Horizons. Um, if you're in a uh, a tournament sort of thing, there's different weights uh, granted to each place, and the top the, the top places get. Uh, a stronger weight than just a, a, a completely linear one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, I think we need to change that in the next eighty-eight episode, uh, which will happen in twenty forty-nine. Yes. Um, and this maybe this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Hey, if we're changing the rules of the way this works, <laughs> that's totally fine. But mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. right now, it's been so long since I played Castlevania, I can't in good fi- in good uh, faith make this decision without going back and playing both. Shall we flip a coin? And throwing throwing Mega Man under the bus without going back and giving them both. Their no, game. I think they both just get fourth place. I think that I'm there okay will be third no, place. I think in this case it would be they both get third place. Uh, okay, fine. Right. And then, and then we, we, we'll re- revisit in Best of 88. That's great. Yeah. You know what? Somehow them both getting third place is better than them both getting fourth place. <laughs> well, so, this wouldn't make sense. Third is better than fourth. <laughs> no, I just think, like, you know? It's like, actually, yep. they're all winners. <laughs> okay. So, of course, that leaves two titans. Okay? You have The Legend of Zelda, and you have Mike Python. Mike Python. Mike Python. Mike Python's touchdown. I like that. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! and The Legend of Zelda, okay? At number two, with 34 points, out of a maximum of 40, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! is number two. And at number one, with 37 points, The Legend of Zelda is officially the best game of 1987. And I'm fine with that. I like I'm happy with that, and I was the one who voted in... For third. Uh, so, you know what? I think all things considered, a little controversial there with the third place finish. Yeah. But otherwise, this is a great list. Uh, sorry, Sean, Top Gun did not make it and will likely never make another <laughs> top 10, 20 list. Well, ever. If, if, I don't think many people's bottom four made it. But if it, if yeah. it makes you feel better, I have... I don't know if this will make you feel better or not. I'll have thinking of the rest of my sentence. <laughs> if, it doesn't, but, if it makes you feel better, I'm just better than you in every no, way. If it makes you feel better, I have like my top like 15 here which obviously I didn't read and Top Gun is not on there but yeah. when you said that I thought you know what it probably should be at least in my top 15 yeah that's like 20 it's like 30% top, of Top Gun was on my top 10 better yeah, I was so, like I gotta yeah. include that oh, wait, not my top 10 Mike you missed uh, you missed Double Dribble where's where that and Double Dribble got one point <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually not true uh, you put that in a good spot so actually hold on it got um, Double Dribble almost came close it got three points <laughs> almost came yeah, close yeah so that's yeah. like gotta yeah. be a 7 at yeah. least if we're talking yeah. Double Bibble that's a different story Double Dribble would have finished right with Rad Racer for tying for 12th place <laughs> so Never we don't count sir. that however we're not done we have some business to attend to uh, this is the part that's uh, more of a management thing, <laughs> but we have to clean up the essential games list if we so desire. Okay? If anybody, everybody at home could take down the minutes of uh, of this committee meeting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, yep. We will basically the way that this is done is I will list off the essential game list, and if anyone has uh, any objection. objections, they will say uh, they will say so when the game is called. And then oh, like we will, this. yeah. And then we will call a forum, and we will have to decide right here. Just remember that for a game to leave the essential games list, all four of us must agree that it leaves, even if we all didn't vote for it. 
Okay. So that, that's an interesting thing, but it's true. And a new system that we are going to be implementing in 1988 is that all games must have a majority of the people on that episode vote in favor of them. So if there's four of us on the show, three must vote at Essential, not two. That now, is a major change. Does that retroactively apply? It to does the not. It does not. Okay. Yep. So the Essential games that were voted that way will stay that way, but otherwise we will move on. So let's take a look at our Essential games list. From episode number four, we have Duck Hunt. I will allow it. Okay, good. Yep. It is allowed. Yeah. From episode 14, Super Mario Brothers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. From episode 24, Balloon Fight. I'll allow it. Good I game. I love Balloon Fight. I still play it. Game. I didn't even vote it, and I'm allowing it. All right. <laughs> From episode 26, Mock Rider. Here it is. Objection. Here it Objection is. as well. Objection. I also object. <laughs> I, I don't think Mock Rider is an essential game. Um, I think that it was great when it came out. If you look at 26 games in, Mock Rider's awesome. Now it's more like four out of five stars. I was, like, when we started talking about this behind the scenes that, like, people were gunning for Mock Rider, uh, I was hurt in a very personal way. Um, however, I can understand it. Uh, we've played enough games now that uh, our I think that the um, the bar has been raised a bit as to what constitutes an essential game, at least in in my interpretation. And while I love the atmosphere and the the moment to moment gameplay of Mock Rider, I can let the baby die. I, I want to say that I didn't vote for Mock Rider, but I was okay with it being on. But it I also... was hoping this wouldn't happen, but. <laughs> It also heavily influenced my decision on a later game that I voted on. And with Mock Rider being the, the the low side of the bar to get onto the Essential Games list, I thought, well, this other game should be on here. I've heard a lot of controversial opinions, and I think that Mock Rider, and maybe this other game along with it, should should be taken off or left on together. Interesting. So hmm. I I think that here's the thing with Mock Rider for me. One of the things I was really hyped up about was the three different ways to play the game. Mm-hmm. Now that I've seen like how how games like Legend of Zelda, Metroid, um, Mega Man, how they deal with like different ways of playing the same exact level, mm-hmm. uh, Mock Rider is just not cutting it. And I understand it's a different genre, but it's just not. It's not really doing enough um enough in the game to make it anything different than like this is a game that you put a quarter in and, and you play as yeah, right. it feels yeah. it feels kind of even though it is like pretty tight controls and like it does get tough later on but like even though the controls are pretty tight and the atmosphere is cool i think that it's missing something in terms of gameplay that would elevate it to the essential games list status well, I guess it's it's my turn to talk. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I I love this game. I think it's a really fun one. This is like one of the ones that I go back to the most out of any of them. Um, but I agree. I think that you know, substance wise, you're kind of what you see is what you get with it, and that's what I like about it. That it's so simple and there's not much to it, but it's still fun. Um, but if we're comparing it to like more complicated games, then I agree. It does feel more like a, you know, 
25 cent kind of arcade game that you play a couple rounds on. You're like, okay, I'm good. But you know, for me, that's like perfect. Um, but I can understand how, uh, it's not necessarily, uh, it might not necessarily constitute an essential experience. So I would be okay with getting rid of it. Sean, are you okay with getting rid of it? It's still essential in my heart, but it yeah. can be removed from Me the too. essential games list. It's, to be clear, it's, anything we take off the essential games list is off the list of NES games. It ceases to exist. It's still it's still one of my favorite games on the NES. Yeah. Joe, are you okay with taking it off the essential I'm, games list? I objected. I am okay. Happy with I am it okay off. with taking yes. it off the essential games list. It is now off the essential Mock games Rider, list. Mock Rider, you have been stripped of your uh, of your post. Mm-hmm. You can return. Yeah, please, oh my bring me your torch. Honorable Discharge. Episode 35, Gradius. It deserves to be there. Yeah. All right. Episode 39, Slalom. Objection. <laughs> Objection. Objection. <laughs> this game, I voted it on and I agree. Okay. Like, the, this game like, was, it has less to offer than even Mock Rider. So. I, I ask... Did I say my piece? And then sure, I will, this and is, then the, I will this do is it. the other game that and you were talking will, about. So I, I voted this on, so along with Sam. Yeah. This is the other game I was talking about, yes. And I, I did vote this on. If you remember back in the episode that I, I voted this on, it was a last-minute decision for me because I was very torn with Mock Rider being on, this, on the list, and I like this game more than Mock Rider. You're just wrong about that's, that, That's though. okay. We can have different opinions. But I feel with... We're raising the bar above this Mock Rider slalom level, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I did initially think, well, everyone's... My initial thought was, well, everyone wants me to take it off. I'm not taking that off. <laughs> Screw them. But that's not the way we play this here. We play this fair. <laughs> I do agree. I think it should come off. Uh, Sean, do you think it should come off? Indeed. Sam, do you think it should come off? I do. I, I think it's super fun, but, you know, kind of what Joe was saying, it's very Mock, mock Rider-like. All right, and I also agree it should come off. It is now off the list. Two games have been removed. Dishonorably discharged. Dishonorably? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, whoa. Episode number 44, Castlevania. It stays. It stays. Episode 48, Kid Icarus. I know that if I objected, nothing would happen. (laughs) You can still make a case. I'm not making a case. Okay. Anybody else? Nope. Nope. Okay. The two-party system is rigged. Yeah. Um, <laughs> episode fifty-seven, Metroid. I I might want to make a case for I, it to come off. For it to come off. I I also would like to object. I I think that like and this was you know my what was this? This is my top four game, uh, but it's also very frustrating too. And I can appreciate how good it is and like all the music and the atmosphere and everything, but I think that. Like Metroidvanias have been done better in the future, um, and this one, the kind of some of the things, the aspects of it. If you don't do it perfectly, it gets really annoying. Uh, for for the for the non-believers in the room at the moment, let let me just to echo Sam's thoughts here. No one is denying that this is a really cool game. No yeah. one is denying that this is a very different game. I think the problem with this game is is that its scope is almost too wide uh, in what it wants to be, and the actual way that it pulls it off, it, it's is far from perfect. Mostly when it comes back to the uh, to the backtracking, to the mapping system, to the uh, to the way that the layout happens in terms of like 
the different elements of the planet, like the way that you go through things. It's like once you're in that zone, it doesn't really like reward exploration back to the other areas. It's kind of like, you know, if the whole idea was to explore things, once you get to the next zone in the planet, you just kind of stay there and don't really go back to things. But you might find out that you missed something. And so then you have to backtrack all the way over there. There's no like, not that there could be, but there's no warp system. Whereas like Zelda's overworld understands like the scope of like, well, if you wanted to get over to the other side of the map, it wouldn't take you that long. You know, it's just a couple screens away. Metroid, it's like, you know, oh, I got to get all the way back up there. Like that could take me, you know, 10, 20 minutes. So I think that no one's denying it's a cool game. No one's denying that it's doing something different. It's just not doing it great. I don't know. Because I, I feel that the that the point of it, at least in my mind, was that you are lost in this cave. And I and I do understand some of these things that are frustrating, but I but I don't remember and I, I, I admittedly would have to play it to, to with with what you said in mind, but I don't remember it being feeling too much like it was bad game design, you're lost. It was almost like I'm in this cave. I'm I'm thinking of in a Pokemon game. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> yeah, Pokemon Pokemon. <laughs> in a Pokemon game, you, you when you go into a, a cave, you feel lost if it's your first time in there. You feel it's it's frustrating, but in a in a way that's satisfying to get out. And that's kind of I feel like what this whole game is trying to do. I granted, like I said, I would have to really go back and look at it from your guys' perspective as a gameplay design. But like, I, I'm not sure I'm sold. I'm also not convinced. I think that uh, this game codified too much of what it meant to be a game like this um, to knock it on such technicalities, I think, in in my uh, opinion. Um, Sure, I mean, it sucks that you have to go back and get stuff, but I I think you're exaggerating how much of a problem that is when the moment-to-moment, it still feels good. I mean, yeah, the movement isn't perfect, but... I still think that the overall experience is is pretty groundbreaking for what for when it came out, and the atmosphere can't be overlooked. And I think that is just as much of a reason why we like this game. And um, I think that in better games, games that we would call essential on other platforms, there's still elements of of frustration that comes from these decisions. And I don't think it should be punished. Uh, in a in a harsher way for it. I rescind my call to remove from the essential games list. I would like, just as a statement, though, to what Joe had said, I don't think that just because you're supposed to feel lost means that it's going to feel fun. And I no, think that... I don't think it means right, it's going to, but I'm just I think this me, game did. Right. I, yeah. I think for me that was the right. difference. Fair and that, 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 you know, that's what I'm saying. I think, I think you guys both made a case enough for me to say, okay, fair enough. But I think that for me personally, I think that's what's missing is that like had there have just been some of those things I talked about, uh, you know, and and later Metroid games do it. And I I understand why it wasn't in this one. Like, how would you even do the map, you know, for for in the NES style? I mean, I know that some ROM hacks have done it, Mm -hmm. but who cares? Right. I get that. I'm just saying for me personally, it wasn't that much fun because of those limitations. Sam? I would also rescind. I do. Okay. I do appreciate this game. I was one of the people who voted it essential originally, um, and I guess I just needed some convincing to keep it on. Okay. Okay. Number fifty-eight. The very next episode, uh, The Legend of Zelda. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can all agree right now. We're taking it off. Okay. 
Number 71, Stinger. I'd like to make a case. I I think I that, that, you know, it, it's when it comes down to it, it's kind of just a shmup. It's different than what we see, but just because it's different doesn't mean it's groundbreaking, you know? I'm not worried about it being groundbreaking. I think that there is a day where Stinger isn't on this list, possibly. I don't think that day is today when I look at I don't think list. it's today either. I, but it is I not this day. It is Lord, not this Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> it is not this day. Um, here, here's the thing for me with Stinger is, as of right now, you know, yes, we've been playing like a ton of shmups and stuff like that. I don't agree with the call that this isn't groundbreaking. I, I do think that this is doing something different enough from Gradius that they both deserve to be on the list. I don't think that they're copying each other, and I think Konami has found like a way to make two really good games that um, that bring different things to the table. Um, it, it's kind of interesting that you don't have to like Gradius to like Stinger, and you don't have to like Stinger to like Gradius. Like they are, they are two different enough shmups, but also. You know, I know that the the bell system is one of the critiques, but if we if we just forget about the bell system thing and assume that like the the power ups happened a different way or something like that, I don't think that the bell system is what gets me to put this game on the essential games list. I think it's the fact that you switch between horizontal and vertical that's really cool to to jazz things up, but also the the approach of like the boss fights and just the enemy design in general. And the, the the progress you make, I just think that's really cool in Stinger. And one thing that I wanted to disagree with when it was on the when we were on our top ten list is that I actually think Stinger is more forgiving than Gradius in the sense of like we all agreed that yeah. in Gradius when you lose your power ups, you pretty much have to start over and hope for a better run. But in Stinger, I think it is possible to rebuild. Maybe not in the final stages, yeah. but for the most part, I think it's possible to rebuild. I, I think that I, I was I was actually confused when that point was brought up because it was something that we were talking about was related to Gradius. Um, uh, but while my defense may not be as articulate as uh, Mike's, um, because I'm not entirely sure why I really enjoy playing this game, but the fact that I only really like in, like to play two shmup games, and that is Gradius and Stinger, says something about like the the the, ga- the way the game feels, um, the the variety behind how you can play the game. Um, so I had too much fun with this game to to in good conscience let it fall off. And I had a lot of fun with the game too, and I and it seems like it's going to stay on, and I'm okay with that. But I do want to just articulate what what my objection was, and I think I think I kind of failed to articulate this in the episode. But I think that the biggest thing for me that felt almost a little breaking of the game a little bit was that I, I felt that it was either too easy or too hard, depending on when you have the power ups. And I know that that can you can say that that's. Well, that's depending how good you are. You get the power-ups, and, you, and it's easy. But I, but I felt like it was almost such an unbalance where you, you would get to a certain point, and you would be like a powerhouse. And you lose the power-ups, and if you don't get them back, suddenly I feel like you're almost it's almost easier to, to go back and, and get to this point again and try and keep the power-ups. And I felt like that was like a little bit of a, of a game-breaking thing. And, and I did enjoy the game a lot. I didn't like it as much as you guys did. But um, that was like the biggest thing that kept it off the list for me. And I and I do also think that in the future, where I I imagine this would come off, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. All right, Sam. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, it's fine. I'm I'm fine with it being on. Cool. 
Number 76, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. That's that's Stan. That's That's Stan. That's Stan. And the last thing on our Essential Games list, episode 88, Mega Man. Staying, staying. It's only two episodes ago. Yeah, I think that would be a weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Forget who cares if you listen to a two-hour podcast. <laughs> who cares if you listen to a two-hour podcast? Like we're changing it again. Uh, all right, so the essential games list uh, loses two members, but keeps the official count at one, two, three, Unless four. Wants to add anything? Right? I was counting. Oh. <laughs> well, you said official count. We're not even. Yeah, uh, you're right. All right, all right, all right, all right. He's right. I forgot something. <laughs> We also have the option now to add a game to the Essential Games list. You can bring that game to the table, and everybody would have to vote yes for it. You can't just do the majority thing. Everybody would have to agree. Would anybody like to bring a game onto the Essential Games list that doesn't start with Winter Games or Deadly Towers? I would like to add Mock Rider to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh I think that's great. Yes, that's funny. <laughs> Slalom's going right back on there. <laughs> so, uh, I have nothing to uh, present. Uh, just for just to hold stand on ceremony, I would like to say Rygar, but no one's no. going to agree. Yeah. So Rygar's good. Uh, <laughs> it's not essential. Uh, it, the thing is, like I, I mentioned this in my top ten list with Rygar, it's kind of like it was only good because it came out before the Legend of Zelda. You <laughs> so know, I, I almost mean? think it was only good because it was so short. Right, I do you know, feel that like too. If that it too. was longer, I, I actually like that problems. point that you brought up yeah. about it. How it's like you, you can beat that in a night. Yeah, you know, Legend of Zelda, yeah. you have to save and, and continue on. I mean, right. you could beat it in a night. Some people beat it in like an hour. I think I'm not one of them. And so, with the changes, that brings us from 13 essential games down to just 11 essential games. Uh, we have 14 games worth playing on the website, and 64 bad games. Um, I should mention that it's actually 16 games worth playing since the other two moved to play it. So 11 essential, 16 games worth playing, 64 bad games for a total of 89 uh, (laughs) video games that we have played so far. That is all the time we have for this episode of Nostalgia. Join us next week for uh, 1988 where we play Karnov, game number 90. Karnov? Karnov from um, Konami Capcom. I don't know. One of them. Yeah, one of those guys, right? No, Karnov was Data East. So, oh boy. Oh, yeah. There we go. Um, Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Zbito. You can find me on Esposito Film on Twitter. And we'll talk to you soon.
All right, and so for this episode of the post show, it just continues. It just keeps going. Our best yeah. of things. We're just gonna keep saying best of. Sean, can you give me your best ninja game of 1987? No, I don't know. Okay, he doesn't have one. <laughs> Sam, give best me your ninja? favorite composer of 1987. I don't remember their okay, names. Okay, Joe Koji Kondo. No, who was it's, your it's favorite not, watermelon in 1987? <laughs> was there one? There were watermelons in Stinger. Uh, that was a well, trick question. You didn't like that game. Uh, guys, it's really, it's really we're just looking forward to 1988 at this point. So I just wanted to talk about some games that will be coming up in upcoming episodes. And maybe uh, players or listeners want to um, mark them on their calendars. Just some ones that stand out to me. Episode 92, Contra. Contra. Uh, episode 97, RC Pro-Am. Uh, episode 99, Ikari Warriors 2. No. Victory Road. No. I think it's worth mentioning. <laughs> Uh, we have a double feature here with episodes 103 and 104. 103 is Double Dragon, and 104 is Metal Gear. Metal Gear. See, Metal I'm very Gear. cautiously optimistic about this game because it had no real, like, Kojima influence. But the fact that this is going to, like, start at least the American phenomena, not so much because of the, the real game was on MSX, whatever, um, I, I can't wait. All right. And uh, episodes 107 and 108, we have Defender 2 and Gauntlet. Uh, episode 111 is Life Force. Episode 122 is 1943, The Battle of Midway. Episode 129, Pac-Man. Finally, the big wow. arcade game oh, coming yeah. to the NES. I forgot about Pac-Man. Episode 133, Super Mario Brothers 2. Yes. All right, the long-awaited Super Mario Brothers USA, as the Japanese would call it. <laughs> I already, I already started playing it because for, <laughs> for a minute there, we thought it was coming we up. We thought like, it was like coming a month up. ago. It actually comes out like a year from now. October 1988 is when the game came out. Um, Bubble Bobble is Bubble episode Bubble. 136, and Bubble Bobble 4 is coming to like <laughs> Switch. Uh, 144, Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest. Can't wait. <laughs> 147, Paperboy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and 154, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. That's, you missed one. Yeah, I you missed know, a couple. You, I missed one. I missed episode 117, Jeopardy. Ice Hockey. Oh. <laughs> I can't wait to play Ice Hockey. Ice Hockey over Blades of Steel, huh? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, Blades of Steel is probably considered the better one. But yeah, either or. <laughs> Finally getting a hockey sports game. In fact, while we're at it, we're getting so many freaking baseball games yeah. <laughs> in the span of 10 episodes. We're getting Major League Baseball, RBI Baseball, and Bases Loaded. Oh, no. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Yep. I used to play RBI Baseball, one of my first games. Baseball fatigue. It's coming. It's, it's coming. It's worse <laughs> than schmuck fatigue. <laughs> I hope one of them lets you play a full season. <laughs> I can't wait. I've got one more on my list that you didn't mention that you shouldn't have. Let me hear. I'm just I'm just interested in it. I've heard kind of what this game's about. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's Spy versus Spy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. It just seems like an interesting concept to me, at least what I think I know about it. Right. Um, you don't know what you think you know. I, yeah. What I think I know about it is that you. it's a two-player game, and one person hides bombs and traps while the other person is looking for something or going through, and you're trying to trap the other person in their playthrough. I could be totally wrong. Right. But uh, that's what I've what I've heard, at least about the Game Boy version. I'm assuming it's the same as this. Okay. Maybe um, I'm totally wrong. If I yeah, am, I, I don't we'll really know out. how it goes. I mean, we missed a, we missed a bunch. I mean, we missed Donkey Kong Classics, <laughs> which... Uh, Already? Forgive them, for they have sinned. They did not include Donkey Kong Jr. math. I knew it. In <laughs> I knew Donkey it. Kong Classics. For some reason, they didn't think it was a classic. <laughs> um... <laughs> 
Some other ones that we probably missed. I mean, like, look, there's so many games that are good. It's kind of surprising, right? I mean, or that have a reputation at least. Like, sometimes we we went through droughts in '87. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know. Um, I can't really see a too long of a drought here. I think that the longest drought, if you consider Pac-Man not a game worth playing, <laughs> uh, you have from Donkey Kong Classics. You have Donkey Kong Classics, Ghostbusters, Joust, Magmax, Mickey Mouse Capade, Millipede, Pac-Man, Racket Attack, Cycross. And then Spy vs. Spy. I've heard great uh, things I'm, about I'm Joust. excited for those. Millipede is like centipede, right? Yeah, millipede's like centipede. But no, more, that'll be that'll more, be fun. Uh, they have thousands of legs instead yeah. of hundreds. millions. Yeah. That'll be uh, that'll be fun. I'm I'm just noticing a title called Lee Trevino's Fighting Golf. Oh, that sounds where is awesome. That? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a, there it is. <laughs> I, I, then I'm just interested in that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Lee Trevino's Fighting Golf looks incredible right now. <laughs> oh, that's the arcade screenshot. Uh, uh, wow. The player can choose between four different golfers with varying advantages and disadvantages. Lee Trevino is a playable is playable as a character. Name all the Lee Named Super Mex. What? His Su- actual nickname. Okay. Super Mex. Like I guess he was Mexican because it's M E X. Okay. Who knows? Lee Trevino was born in the United States, Dallas, Texas. Cool. His name was... The, oh, he is an icon for Mer- Mexican-Americans and is often referred to as the Merry Mex and Super Mex. All right. Okay. I'm looking forward, to, I guess. Lee Trevino is still alive. I'm going to... Uh, I'm, it's I'm no go- Minnesota facts. <laughs> <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Are you looking forward to Iron Tank, the invasion of Normandy? <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, no. No. Okay. <laughs> not if Sean's not. Yeah. yeah, thank you. What about Town and Country Surf Designs, Wood and Water Rage? That's the full <laughs> Wait, title. Town and Country Surf, surf Designs. designs. Like wood and Town and Country yeah. Surf Designs, Wood and Water Rage. I'm excited for that. That sounds interesting. Yeah, honestly, there's so much in that. Yeah. Towns, countries, designs. I'm going to know. Yeah. <laughs> Funky, Kong, Funky Kong is literally on the poster. <laughs> Funky Kong from the Donkey Kong series. Okay. Why is Funky Kong coming to Smash? Right? He should be a Smash Brothers I character. thought that was, uh, he came with Joker. I want Cranky, yeah. personally. Cranky? Cranky would be cool, I think. Yeah, the original DK. Um, it's getting hot in it's here. It's getting yeah, real it hot is. in here. Let's leave. We're done. All right, bye. Uh, we'll do the music in another post-show some <laughs> yeah. episode soon, so make sure to listen to all of our episodes all the time. Thank all you. All the way through. Yeah, like if you listen to this one, you would know to send me the code JULY1988 to at Esposito Film on Twitter. <laughs>